So let's get into it. Um, now that we have all of our speakers here, before we get into anything, go ahead and give all of the speakers up here a follow. They all put out outstanding content. Um, and I think going forward, they're probably going to host a ton of spaces on Bitcoin or, or whatever it is. Just give them a follow really quick and look out for the stuff they're doing. So before I uh, kind of open it off, Wolf, do you want to make any um, quick, uh, quick comments? Uh, my quick comments would be that, you know, the space is for educational purposes. Uh, don't get butthurt if someone argues a side that, you know, you don't agree with. Simply, uh, you know, feel free to tweet at them. Feel free to do anything like that. Uh, it's all just about the discourse. Uh, there's a lot of different sides to this, and we're just trying to put everything out in the open so that people can make an educated decision with their with their money. That's it. Exactly. Exactly. That's what we really wanted to put this together for. A nice, great open debate between two sides. Both, or all of them, are extremely intelligent people in their own rights, in their own spaces, and tons of history in financial and, and capital markets. Um, and so, take a take everything tonight. Go do your own research, and then make your own decisions as well. Um, and also, as well, before we get into uh, the first part of the debate here, I'd love it if everyone could just be as, you know, as civil as possible. Um, obviously we're all adults here. Um, and that's what I really hope we can get out of this as a civil debate. Um, and so to, to kick it off, what I really want to do is to help out the audience. And eventually when this goes up for, uh, on YouTube and other, other, uh, audio platforms is, is just a quick background, a 30, less than 30 second background of, of who's speaking, um, and, and, and their relation to what, what we're talking about today. So, um, I'll start on the Bitcoiner side, uh, Dennis, just a quick uh, 30 second background of yourself. Yeah, thanks for putting this space together, Chad. I'll start by saying I'm not that smart. Uh, I have zero college education, everything I know about the world. Um, I've learned in the last five years uh, uh, of just nonstop studying economics, human behavior, psychology. Um, I, I feel like the need to go through the typical routes to be able to learn about the world uh, are broken and inefficient, and have become a way to network with other people predominantly. Uh, I also don't need that anymore now because of Spaces and Clubhouse. I love this platform. I think it's a really great way for people to get on here and actually hear the arguments that people have. Um, a little more about me, though. I have a, a podcast called Smart People Shit. If you guys are interested in learning more about Bitcoin, I have some great guests on. I just had Jeff Booth on, and I have, will be having Mike on at some point as well. It, it, I really try to cover some of the high level conversations around the, you know, the deeper issues around Bitcoin are kind of harder to grasp. I try to be the guy that's in between, um, you know, explain it like I'm five and the deep level galaxy brain shit and try to just make it easier for people to understand. Uh, but yeah, thanks, Chad, again for having us up here. And I look forward to uh, screaming at someone in the, in the near future. And over to you, Mike. Hey guys, thanks again, Chad and Wolf and, and uh, Portfolio, George, everybody for joining. Um, you know, I'm a 20 year uh, software entrepreneur and investor. I started investing in my Stanford uh, dorm room as an undergrad in 1999 timeframe. So I lived through the, the dot-com bubble, learned a lot about how not to lose money uh, during that time, uh, became a classic value investor and have mostly been following that methodology over the last 20 years. I got into Bitcoin starting in 2016, 2017 timeframe started a data business uh, called Digital Assets Data, which I sold to NIDIG in the fall of last year. I worked there uh, br very briefly, about eight months doing strategy and M&A. And now I'm considering uh, starting my own long-term value fund with a Bitcoin component. Perfect, perfect. And now uh, over to you, George. 
I'm probably the elder statesman in the room. Uh, I've got 40 years of experience uh, presently managing money privately. Um, I grew up at uh, Fidelity, where I uh, spent 10 years, uh, worked for Peter Lynch. Uh, I was very fortunate to have a lot of success early in my career. Um, actually, it was a curse. I had the number one mutual fund in the country the first year I ran money in 1985. Um, I run a couple of hedge funds. Um, I'm a global long short investor. I'm opportunistic. I'm not market neutral. I'm not a short seller per se. I'm not a long only guy. I just want to make money. As the saying goes, there's the. It's not about being on the, 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 the bullish side or the bearish side. It's being about being on the right side. And uh, what caught my attention, you know, I've been following uh, crypto casually, um, but um, and it just, you know, I, I missed out on the whole whole bull run. So let's be very clear about that. But once it broke, uh, I started to say, wait a second, this looks kind of interesting. What's going on here? And to me, it's just a classic sort of pattern. Uh, it's muscle memory. You know, I, I made money in the Japanese stock market crash, in the NASDAQ crash, in the great financial crash. And, I, and I, I, it's like I've seen this movie before, you know, with, with subtitles. And so I started to really drill down. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm somewhat limited on the technology side of it, but I think I know enough to... I know about the important parts and my, my whole approach is more towards market structure and, you know, what is Bitcoin really worth? So, um, yeah, so I'm, you know, obviously we're, I'm, I'm on the no coiner side, but I will say right up front, you know, I, I believe the technology is very, is, is worth something. It has applications, but, you know, we'll, we'll get into the whys and where's about that later. So that's me. And then um, over to you, Portfolio. Chad, thanks for saving the least interesting person up here for last. I, I, have roughly, I have roughly two decades of investment management experience. Today, I'm focused on asset allocation, uh, macro view, as well as seeking out distressed and arbitrage opportunities. Got it. Okay, perfect. So we will go right into the first question here, the first topic. Um I'm going to start with you, Dennis, and then I think what we'll do is uh, I want to try and keep it on each topic about 15 to 20 minutes so that we can try and get out of here within an hour to an hour and a half so that people can go about their nights. But uh, give you a couple minutes on the question um, and then have from the other side, they respond and then go back again to the other speaker and then back again. So, Dennis, I'm going to start with you. Um does Bitcoin solve a problem? Is is there really an issue with fiat? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. Um, it's pretty obvious, I think, to anybody that looks at the world today that there are serious problems, uh, income inequality, and the way that they're printing money into affinity, which, you know, in and of itself, you know, may be necessary, and I don't want to argue that point, but... Bitcoin fixes a fundamental problem with the way that money is structured. We've had money as human beings for roughly 10,000 years. Ever since money was discovered, um, we've had the problem where it can be debased or corrupted. I mean, the first forms of money were salt, shells, rocks, pieces of fabric, beads, um, a lot of these monies were ultimately used um, by certain civilizations and and other more powerful, uh, more advanced civilizations were able to come in and debase those currencies and 
and steal from the people of those countries. One example that is very commonly thrown around is the example of Africa, West Africa, in the 14th, 15th, 16th century. West African nations were using agribeads, glass agribeads. And the reason why they were using these beads is because to them, they were precious and hard to make and served as a great type of money. And eventually what happened was the Europeans came south to start trading with the West Africans. Unfortunately for the West Africans, the Europeans were very efficient in their glassmaking ability. Um, while the Africans were still in a primitive state with the development of glass. This led to a multi-century pillaging and destruction of West Africa, where not only the natural resources that they had worked to develop and create and store were taken, but also human capital was taken, and it massively accelerated the, uh, the destruction of West Africa and, and ultimately the transatlantic slave trade. There's cases like this all throughout history. Uh, you can look back at Rome and how they funded their expansion and their war with, uh, with, the, with debasing their own currency. Eventually, soldiers wouldn't fight, and the, the empire grew too large, and they collapsed. Uh, we, see this, we see this happen more recently in history with the Weimar Republic. Um, they were after a war. They had uh, high levels of inflation and increasing government debt. And many people were not willing to work as they were being paid by the government, a very similar situation to today. But uh, yeah, hyperinflation set in, uh, Weimar collapsed, and you had the rise of Nazism and Hitler in Germany, and which ultimately led to World War II. So we can see that throughout history that the ability and the power over the money supply is a very potentially destructive to the greater society. My, my uh, people on the other side of this argument will say flexible money is necessary, but at what cost? Multiple times throughout history, civilizations have absolutely collapsed. Massive wars have been fought and literally slaves have been purchased because of the ability to debase currency. Bitcoin solves this problem with a hard money supply cap. There can never be more than 21 million Bitcoin. No one can ever change this number. That number is set in stone permanently, and it takes the power away from governments to be able to destroy the civilizations that they claim to protect. I guess I will... You, I think, obviously, the no-coiners can respond with either one of you, and then we can go back over to, to Mike to respond to this as well. So, George or Portfolio, if you have any uh, comments on this. I'm actually a, um, it's kind of funny. My underlying political philosophy is very similar to a lot of the Bitcoin uh, advocates. Um, I have libertarian tendencies. Uh, I'm thoroughly disgusted with Wall Street and what governments have done. So I just want to put that out there so people understand where I'm coming from. It's not that I have a, a different worldview. I have a very similar worldview. But where I have a problem is, um, is the, re the practical reality of things. I mean, it's essentially when you boil it down to its core, um, the Bitcoin proponents, basically they're hard money people, kind of like Austrian school. 
Um, and well, in theory, that's a wonderful idea. In practice, it doesn't work. Um, it's it's just not you know we 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 went off the we went off the gold standard back in the 1930s for you know sorry in the, in the 60s under Nixon for for good reason because um, it forces discipline and sound money and austerity on the system and that's just not the nature of the way political democracies work politicians always want to um, give more. It's great when you're spending other people's money. Um, and, you know, people like when they're given things, but they don't like when things are taken away. And so while in principle, I hear I hear the argument, I understand it. In a perfect world, I wish, I wish it worked that way, but that's not the way the world works. And more importantly, I think part of the uh, real dedication to principles under underlying Bitcoin, it's not, it, it, it's not so much that people are running towards Bitcoin. It's that beneath everything, we all know, we all feel that something's very wrong with what's going on. And there's a big difference between running away from something versus running towards something. And I, you know, Bitcoin on the, sur- on the surface, I've read all the books, it has appeal. But when you get into it in terms of what it would imply for society and how our economies would work, I just think it's highly impractical. Thank you. Thanks, George. Um, So glad to know that we're really aligned uh, politically in a lot of ways. I think if we start at a starting point of where we're aligned, we can have a more interesting conversation. I think, you know, without restating directly, I just want to see if I can paraphrase this. In theory, BTC makes sense to you. In practice, it doesn't work. Right in the nineteen, it was actually 1971. Nixon ends the convertibility of U.S. dollars to gold, which, which I think many Bitcoiners point as an important date. So we agree with you on that point. Right, that's important. Um, you know what I heard at the end though is that you're sort of resigned to accept the current political reality, like basically our Keynesian worldview, where politicians print money, they give away money, they they waste money. You know the government's gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. It's not a political statement. This is both Republicans, Democrats. And so because of that, people are running away from what they're afraid of. And I've actually heard this from a lot of people in their 60s, 70s, 80s, you know, grayer haired folks like my mother, right? And, and like my father-in-law who are conservative in nature mm-hmm. and really don't trust, they just don't trust, you know, all of the money printing and all the manipulation that's that's gone on. And so they, they choose to allocate some portion of their assets uh, to Bitcoin um, because they do want an alternative. They want something that's sound, they want something that's not under government control. They want something that can't be censored. It can't be seized. They want something that can't be printed. And they want to make an individual optimization about where they store their time and their energy for the future. Because they don't trust if they store it in fiat denominated assets that A, you know, they won't just lose value outright. Or B, that they won't be pushed further and further out the risk curve to buy crazier and crazier assets in order to maintain their purchasing power. And so, you know, they're not thinking about the Cantillon effect, right? But those of us who are more theorists are, are thinking about the fact that, you know, folks who are closest to the banking system tend to always win out. And it's ordinary folks that can't tend to get their butts kicked every time there's a crisis, every time there's a liquidity crunch, every time there's a real estate bubble, every time there's a tech bubble. There's always a bailout for somebody. It just doesn't happen to be people like my mother and, and my father-in-law. And so, you know, I agree people are running away. 
but I think they're running towards what I believe is the most honest and pristine asset in human history. It's, a, it's an asset where we know how many will ever be created, right? 21 million. We know that no single individual controls it. There's no CEO. There's no board. There's nobody to pull in front of Congress and, and grill with questions. There's nobody to lobby the government, right, to, to get uh, the government to do certain things for Bitcoin. There's certainly Bitcoin companies like Coinbase that'll be in good regulatory stead because they spent a lot of time on it. But there's no Bitcoin lobbyist, right? There's no Bitcoin government. There's just a decentralized network of computers and nodes and miners, just like there is with the internet broadly. And, and so for a lot of us, that uh, they trust software much more than they trust uh, you know, a bunch of old guys sitting in a room uh, raising and lowering the interest rates and manipulating the money supply. It just seems fair. It seems like uh, you know, a place that you can, you can trust. And while I agree that there's some manipulation, right? Like Tether, there's definitely issues with Tether, right? There's definitely uh, false uh, volume on Asian exchanges, offshore unregulated exchanges. I have no doubt that those things are, are true and I've seen them in some cases with my own eyes. Um, Bitcoin itself is fundamentally pristine. We're not talking about Bitcoin. We're talking about the way people in the ecosystem behave. Um, so, so I think Bitcoin solves a real problem. I think it solves a problem that is not obvious. It's not obvious to Western wealthy people like the folks that are on this speaker panel. We're all uh, doing very well financially. We have a, a, a currency that inflates at 2% a year on average over long periods of time. It's not doing what Lebanon or Venezuela or countries in Central Africa. We're, we're not generally getting uh, you know, our assets seized by the government or, you know, as we try to leave the airport in Moscow or, or, or uh, Beijing. And so we don't really understand the use case um, to the same degree that uh, folks around the world. And th this is a key point. Um, there's never before been a truly global uh, form of medium of exchange, right? There's never been one asset that you could exchange in any quantity with any person. Um, and the only limitation is really having access to a mobile phone, right? Even the US dollar, you really can't use it in certain parts of the world, right? On the ground, you wouldn't be able to use it to buy anything because the folks don't take it there for small transactions. And so there, there is a real opportunity to remove waste from the system, currency uh, exchanges, right? And think of all the drama every time a big company, um, you know, reports earnings and like a big chunk of the earnings movement is, is foreign currency exchange rate issues, right? Like that goes away under a Bitcoin standard. Um, all the, the, the money changers and the exchange people and a big chunk of the banking system becomes irrelevant. And we can redeploy that to productive uses, you know, building technology, right? Building the future of the world as opposed to, you know, living in the past and, and using this fiat system. So uh, I think there's real, real opportunity there if the world adopts a Bitcoin standard. I think there are real problems that are being solved. Thanks. So <clears throat> I think a um, couple of things, right? I think the statements that Dennis made in his opening speech, it's so broad based that for me, or George to try and address or counter that, it, it makes it very difficult. So I'll hone in onto a more specific point. And I think a lot of what he spoke about is centered around the devaluation of currency and the subsequent loss of purchasing power that uh, consumers or constituents of a government have, wherever they may be domiciled. And so what I'll ask both Dennis and Mike is, if we look at uh, periods of, I guess, not currency devaluation, but the printing of money increase in M0, M1, M2. And a most recent example of it, of, of it would be what happened today as a result of COVID. 
and what uh, people are implying is inflation as a result of that. But if we go a little bit farther back and maybe George can chime in and uh, add some more historical dates where this may be relevant. But if you look at uh, 10 years ago or seven years ago and you look at what happened to money supply and what it meant in terms of inflation and purchasing power for U.S. consumers, since presumably most of us are in the U.S. today listening uh, in on this call and speaking on this call, what has actually happened versus what you're proposing uh, is the outcome or the de detrimental outcome as a result of printing money? Um, the result of printing money, you know, in this country is different than a lot of other countries because, as Mike explained, you know, we don't feel the pains directly that other nations do. So if you want to narrow down to exactly, you know, a U.S. centric focus on why Bitcoin is important um, and why inflation is still bad for this country, I mean, and money printing is still bad, that's fine. But I think it's better to recognize also that, you know, we are very privileged in this country in some senses to have uh, the international reserve currency status. Um, there are other second and third order impacts of that status that I actually think are horrible for Americans, and I'll cover them briefly. Um, when you are the reserve currency of the world, um, something comes into play called the Triffin Dilemma. And even Keynes thought that it would be wrong for the United States to, uh, to have the reserve currency. I think SDRs were what was introduced, but we got reserve currency status. Um, the Triffin Dilemma says that your exports will become dramatically more expensive as, a, as an effect of being the reserve currency. This ultimately leads to a gutting of good middle-income paying jobs, and it, it really reduces the amount of exports we have really outside of what I think Hawk was brought up once was a good point, which is the software industry. Well, most people are not in the software industry. They are middle America average people, and so those people are being dramatically negatively impacted in their communities by the, by the impacts of money printing. I think... Also, what's going on here is you're seeing the asset prices go up dramatically. So, you know, that is good for a certain percentage of the population. But uh, a lar very large chunk of, of Americans do not have assets. I mean, 20% of Americans have limited access to bank, bank services. And I believe 10% um, of them, not 10% of that group, but also 10% have no access at all. So they're highly dependent on holding on to U.S. dollars and the wages that they receive from their work. Um, so their, their savings have been, are being debased at a rate so dramatic that there's really no point in saving at all because the assets that they could buy are further and further out of reach. On top of that, their wages are being debased and they're constantly having to ask for more and more and more. Typically, the companies that are hurt worse by this are actually small businesses that are owned by individuals and not large corporations that get subsidies from the government. So you're really just squeezing all the small businesses, you're squeezing all of middle America, and you're squeezing the people that don't have access to financial services, and you're shoving it into the hands of the people that already are wealthy and already have assets and making them wealthier and wealthier and wealthier. It's not a system that works for everybody. It's a system that works for people at the top. And we know what happens when you start to concentrate too much wealth at the top. It ends in war, it ends in civil war, it ends in revolution. And I think that heading that direction and continuing to go down that course of path is ultimately going to lead to a very, very devastating um, sort of event, black swan event that could take place in this country. So, so Dennis, I, 
I appreciate what you're sharing, but I, I really wasn't able to extract uh, an answer to the question which I asked from that. How does it hurt America? Yeah, uh, you just how, said, you just how, yeah, you just I just answered has, the question. How has the printing of money in recent examples outside of the last twelve months? How has that manifested into diminishing purchasing power of Americans? Your I, your I ability to buy real estate has been diminished for the average person. Their large swaths of real estate are being bought up by companies like BlackRock, and now they're unaccessible by most of Americans. So the I average think, person used to be able to work two years to buy a piece uh, to buy a home, and now it's like the average person literally cannot afford and will never be able to save up in their lifetime enough to buy the average home. So it's it's have a devastating impact on individuals. It's great for those of us who have been able to escape those you know those, those points in our economic history as far as our financial history. But it's it's devastating on most Americans. Also, retirement. You know, what did you used to be able to buy? Like, a, you save a few million dollars up, and you buy a bond, or you buy something. You know, a fixed income. The returns on those are, have been destroyed. So your retirement just went. Instead of you having to save, you know, five million dollars for your retirement, you're having to save twenty-five million dollars. That's that's completely unreasonable. Yeah. There's no way the average person can save up that much money. So, do you think? Are are you implying that? the appreciation of capital assets will go away by the introduction of Bitcoin into the system? I believe that Bitcoin will, over time, um, demonetize other assets. Other assets have become store of value. Um, they've, they've been introduced to store of value property. And because of our money is so horrible, um, the ultra high net worth individuals, not only in this country. So it's, so it's not even the, the people in this country, right? Like the whole, it's just wealthy people everywhere are winning and people in the middle and the bottom are losing, but they're storing their wealth in real estate. It's all up and down the major coastlines. Um, and ultimately this makes the ability to buy a home impossible for the average person. So I think what'll happen is as Bitcoin grows in adoption, and this could be a very long curve. So I, I don't see it happening overnight. And in fact, I think it would be it would be uh, very destabilizing for it to happen overnight. But you'll see people start to acknowledge that Bitcoin is a far better store of value than any other asset that has ever existed in human history. So, so, so here's, so, here's what I'm, George, go ahead. Yeah. So, so, so Dennis, I, you know, again, it's funny. I go back to what I said earlier. Like I agree with a lot of the um, observations and I have a lot of the complaints that pro Bitcoin people have about the system and how it's not working for us. And, I'm even more outspoken against the banksters on Wall Street. I just can't stand them. I've dealt with them for 40 years. But I think there's a little bit of a logical fallacy going on here. Um, to equate that with, you know, Bitcoin solves for that, um, it doesn't follow. Um, and, and, and one is looking away from all the problems that are attendant with a hard money regime like Bitcoin. Um, you know, you name drop Triffin. I was I was at Yale when Triffin was there. Okay, um, congrats. So, well, no, not congrats. I'm just saying. I, I only say that. I'm not trying to be an ass about it. I'm just saying. I studied the dismal science, and you know, I'm pretty steeped in it. So you're my sandbox right now. The fact of the matter is, and you know, one's entitled to their own opinion, but you're not entitled to your own facts, as Senator Moynihan famously once said. That if you, you know, and nothing is cut and dry. Nothing's black and white. There's positives and negatives with every every argument. Okay, but you know. We were on 
we, we, we were the, uh, we've had the world's reserve currency, you know, for a long time. And, 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 and these problems to which you're referring um, have only really intensified or come to the fore, you know, in the last couple of decades, the whole uh, income inequality. George, 90 um, years to be exact as the reserve just, currency status. Yes. Yeah, so we're in agreement. OK, so let me just keep going. So, um, you know, there were many decades where having the world's reserve currency wasn't really a problem. Um, it's not the having the world's reserve currency per se is a problem, but the way you're speaking, you make it out to be a problem. It's alternatively the horrible policies that we've been adopting, um, you know, and, and, and again, it's, it's not the reserve currency status, which is the issue. The fact of the matter is the fact, not the opinion. The fact of the matter is when we were under a uh, gold standard, um, we had much higher volatility in inflation and much higher volatility in economic growth, um, because when you fix the, the price, the price of uh, when, when you fix the, the, the price of gold, I'll just use as a surrogate for Bitcoin for the time being. Um, you know, um, it's 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 you, you, you force the, fl the fluctuations to, to, to occur in the prices of goods. And so just look at the data, look at the history. OK, um, it, it had much higher economic volatility, much bigger recessions and also much higher inflation. Uh, and so it's not all it's not all black and white, but I think your argument, I mean, there's a lot of sort of populist uh, chords that you're hitting. But um, in, in, in I'm equally enraged. I'm not defending what Wall Street is. And it's horrible. My problem is it doesn't mean that Bitcoin solves for that. That's the problem. And, and, and it overlooks so many other problems. I think it's a very uh, simple uh, view of the world. And when you speak of these third world countries that are, um, you know, in a bad way and they, 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 they have horrible standards of living and the people are poor and they've, you know, they've got horrible government systems. It's not because of the dollar standard. It's because they have corrupt governments. OK. And, and even if you were if you were on a hard currency standard, it actually would make it even worse for them, because if you're on a gold standard, I mean, the problem is these countries, they don't they have corrupt governments. Yes. But equally on top, even more important than that, they commonly run huge uh, trade deficits. They don't generate they don't generate enough foreign exchange to um, uh, to maintain a standard of living. So I, I think, I mean, you, you correctly identify a lot of horrible inequities are in the world, and a lot of problems. But it's a it's something I see up and down in, in, in the Bitcoin chat rooms and all the articles I read. I think people are very uh uh, make short shrift that it's a far more complicated issue and they fail to give adequate attention to some of what some what a lot of the problems that, are, that occur under a hard money system. Hey, George, can I, can I jump in here just sure. for a second? Um, so I totally appreciate your comments on the reserve currency status. I actually agree that's not the problem itself. I think it's an enabler of some of the problems. Um, also totally agree on your point on corrupt governance. Like Bitcoin doesn't fix corrupt governments initially, right? Like eventually if every government's on a Bitcoin standard though, I think Dennis would probably agree with me, corruption becomes harder. I think the, the meat of the issue though, what you, of what you just said relates to the volatility of inflation. You said before uh, the, we went off the gold standard that one of the challenges, right, is that it was hard to control the volatility of inflation. And I think the argument from a lot of Bitcoiners would be, why do we need to control the inflation? Who, whose idea was it that was a good idea? It would sort of be like, hey, let's control your uh, temperature so that you never get a fever. 
Well, actually, a fever is a good signal that something's wrong in the body and maybe you should go see a doctor, right? And so, you know, our view would be simply that, you know, debasing the currency, right, devaluing the currency over time uh, masks a lot of the underlying problems that are happening in the economy, like malinvestment, like, like you know, supporting this high-yield debt right now, like the Fed's doing, and basically incentivizing people to go further and further out the risk curve on the operator side. Like, you've got boards of directors who are deciding to borrow more and more and more money up to five, six, seven, eight times EBITDA because they know they're going to get bailed out. So, so they're incentivizing bad behavior because it's still a better deal to put your money into some of these really crappy companies than to leave it in fiat. Right. The other, the other problem is conspicuous consumption. So we have a society now in America where people just love to go to the mall and they love to buy expensive cars and they love to buy bigger and bigger houses and bigger and bigger SUVs. And to some degree, I believe that's incentivized uh, by the fiat system. And so what, what you have in totality, though, is a sort of decaying moral code that's very insidious because it's hard to see day to day on the surface. But people are losing any sort of real fundamental direction. And, and I believe a lot of that stems from the printing of money, causing people to go further and further out the risk curve, realizing that spending money is better than saving it, um, and corrupting our fundamental moral code in a lot of ways. Well, yeah, but, but again, I, I agree with all the symptoms that you observe, but I think you're conflating two different things. I don't think it's cause and effect at all. And frankly, I don't think Bitcoin solves for, for, for much of that. And so to me, it's kind of a misdirection play because it sounds good. It's like, you know, I, I could give the same speech you guys gave about how corrupt Wall Street is and the, and the income inequality and standard livings are going down. And for the first time in you know American history, well, this this generation is going to be have a lower standard of living than the prior generation or my generation. The boomers screwed everybody. I mean, I can give that speech as well as you guys can. All right. But it ain't just about the lack of hard money. There are a lot of other problems. And to me, it, it, it's you're conflating a whole series of problems with one thing i mean you you acknowledge it's it's not the gold standard per se which 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 caused which has caused this problem yeah with lack of a gold standard you know yes if you had hard money it would make it more difficult to pull these stunts but that's not the problem okay you know the the reason people are you know losing a lot of their jobs and manufacturing jobs gone away it's not because we don't have a gold standard it's because we've had globalization and, and 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 we freed billions of producers and consumers behind the curtain in, 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 into in, 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 into the modern world and we have free trade I mean what you're making you're taking so many big problems and just kind of rolling them up into well Bitcoin solves for this no it doesn't no it doesn't and like I said I mean you know I studied decimal science I almost went for a graduate degree in it and it's just it's just it's just a gross oversimplification of, 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 of what's a very complex problem. Yeah, I think I think um, the Bitcoin community loves to discount the human factor of the society and economy in which we exist. So we completely disregard the level of productivity that a member of society brings to the table. And we blame it entirely on having a fiat currency and government's ability to print money or reduce the money supply, which I think is a completely flawed argument. And so, you know, to say that um, you're going to bring equality in the world by introducing Bitcoin the gentleman or gentlewoman that was non-productive in society prior to Bitcoin being introduced on the fiat standard is still going to remain at the same productivity level. Nothing's going to change at the fundamental level. Yeah, I, I guess fundamentally disagree with um, that. I think it has a little more to do with we're, you know, we're jumping into human psychology and human behavior here. And, and it's important to recognize that 
Um, money is one of the greatest incentives that we have as human beings. And we can either use it to incentivize positive behavior or we can use it to incentivize negative behavior. The current system that we live in incentivizes spending, as you agreed to just moments ago, and it, dis and it disincentivizes saving. Because what is the point of saving for something if you're just going to have your savings debased and the cost of the assets that you truly, so excuse me, the cost of your assets that you truly want to purchase in life, home, college, um, you know, are, those are all going up dramatically. Retirement, affording retirement, all of those things are going up. So what is the point of saving your money to retire, to buy a home or to go to college if the government is going to debase it and they're going to increase the cost of those goods it totally disincentivizes anybody right. from being productive members of society. It's better right. off. Hold on. I'm almost done with my point. Jeez. Uh, I'm, it's better off to just sit on your ass, take a government paycheck or do the bare minimum and just spend your money. Like there's no incentive to work. Whereas in a Bitcoin standard, there is an incentive to push forward because it actually reverses the, the script on all of those facts. So, uh, so George, before before Hawk, can I just say one? Thing? Yeah, I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give you last last word on this, and then we're actually we're about forty minutes, in, so we're gonna move on to the second question. I, so, Hawk, um, if you want to take that, that's fine. I really have a pretty strong pushback against that that I'd like to express, but you know, I, I, I have very big pushback. So unless you can share with the audience in this room data that speaks about the psyche of the average human being, and if we want to talk about people's motivations behind spending or saving, you completely discount the factor of individual choice, preference, motives in life, what's important, what's not. And unless you can show me a sizable study that has proven that people are inclined to spend their money because they don't see a future with it as a result of devaluation, I have to push back completely. I think, I think this is complete conjecture. Yeah, probably awkward. Can I just throw in two more cents? Dennis, with respect, I could not disagree with you more forcefully. And I'll give you a real live example. Um, and this piles on what Portfolio Hawk was talking about. Look in Europe. Um, look in Europe where, you know, you've got the euro and you have very disparate um, uh, economic behaviors between Northern Europe and Southern Europe. Um, you know, countries like Germany and the Netherlands, they've chosen uh, you know, throughout history to pursue a much more disciplined, sensible approach to their economic affairs. When the spendthrift um, Southern European countries have run up huge amounts of debt, have had much lower productivity uh, increases. This is exactly what Portfolio Hawk was talking about. And so when you try to hold them to a standard, it's not a gold standard, it's not a Bitcoin standard, but it's a Euro standard, okay? And the Euro came into being around the year 2000, 1999. I can't remember exactly when it was. I was managing the hedge fund at that point in time. Um, the, the divergence, the cumulative impact of, of, of different productivity differentials and inflation rates. Um, and, and, and Italy has not grown and has lost jobs over those 20 years because they're being held to a hard money standard where Germany has thrived, or not hard money, to a euro standard, right? It's a living proof example of what Portfolio Hawk was talking about. And it completely debunks what you're talking about. Um, it's not that it's not that there's it's not that we have a hard currency. I have a hard currency. It, it, it goes with Holio Hawk was talking about. It's it's individual preferences. It's 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 domestic economic decisions. The Germans have had antipathy towards 
running these big deficits for historical reasons because of the Weimar and everything that happened in, in, in World War II. So they've been, you know, they, they've been reasonably sane, although that's breaking down now, that they've been reasonably disciplined in how they conduct their affairs. And they, they view running deficits as sort of, you know, uh, it, it's equivalent to original sin. So with respect, but I, but I really am speaking forcefully here, not because I dislike you, I have respect for you, but, you know, you're entitled to your own opinion, you're not entitled to your own facts. And if you study history, which, and I'm not trying to slight you, but I'll just make a general statement. One of the things that just blows my mind is just how little economic and financial history uh, people in the Bitcoin community have studied. And instead, they go with these sound bites and they, and they, and they bang the drum about wealth, wealth inequality and, and, and the poor people in, 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 in El Salvador and this, that and everything else. OK, completely ignorant of economic history. I rest. Oh, okay. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to, Wolf, I know you want to move on, yeah. but I, I have to. Add yeah, I would love right. for, um, I'd love for, since, and, since uh, Portfolio and George both went me, back and back, I'd love to hear from Mike, I was since there, is, there is, should be turns here, right, not just can we do, people yeah, let's, let's do Portfolio, let's do one last point from you, and then can we have Thank Dennis you. finish it off after that, to be fair, since there was have a Mike finish, I don't even want to tell you, I'm just saying, it's been three times of them in a row, there needs to be some moderation on who's speaking. We will have Portfolio, and then we'll have Mike finish it, and then we'll move on to the next point, and gentlemen, again, appreciate um, just how professionally you've all been about this. Thank you. Portfolio. Thank you, Wolf. <clears throat> so if you want to talk about human behavior and incl how inclined someone is to save versus spend, I think you have the relationship confused and, and you have it in reverse. What happens after the devaluation of money is what causes saving rates de to decline. So the cause is reversed in the example that you're given. And if you want a great example of this, look at Venezuela between 1970 and 2017 with an average rate of savings, gross savings rate, north of 24%. And only in recent years after the currency has gone to complete shit is when people decided that they no longer want to save because they don't believe in a future. So I actually want to cede my time back to Dennis for the rest of this question, and I'll, I'm interested to opine on the next okay. one. And then let's uh, let's let's go on to the next topic after. I understand that every time that someone speaks, there's going to be a, another side back, but um, we will have more topics and we will have more debate. I promise. So Dennis, please close us off on this one, and I'll have the other side. We'll get last word on the next one. It's very logically apparent when you look at the way money is designed, that it is used as an incentive. Uh, even governments are looking into how they can manipulate money beyond just inflation in order to control human behavior. We already know that they are doing this with inflation, but with CBDCs, they'll be doing uh, time. They'll affect how long, how long you can hold on to the money, where you can spend it, how you can spend it, on what goods you can spend it on. Uh, they're massively jumping into the social manipulation space. You see it all over the world in China as well. And I think it's just ignorant to say that money can't be used as a way to incentivize saving or spending. And it's very obvious that when a money is worth more over the long term, people are going to want to save it. It's obviously logical to hold on to that money. It's ridiculous to try to claim that I would rather hold on to money that loses value over time. Trying to bring up history or any other point, it, it's, it's actually ludicrous at this point. It's a fact. 
when something goes up in value over time, people want to hold on to it. You don't need any, you don't need anything other than that. You don't need to do any other study or data collection. It's, it's, it's a, a known fact. People like to hold on to and accumulate things that sustain their value. And they like to get rid of things and spend things that lose their value. There's in fact a law associated with this called Gresham's law, where good money chases out bad money. All the bad money gets spent because it's garbage and all the good money gets held onto until all the bad money is out of the marketplace. Trying to say that Bitcoin doesn't incentivize saving is actually really difficult to swallow because I know Bitcoiners and they don't spend shit ever. They save incredibly amounts of money. They sell their chairs. There's memes about how hard they work to sell everything they can so that they can buy more Bitcoin and save their money. It, it, it's, it's almost like you've bought the pill of Keynesian economics so hard, but you don't understand how money actually works. Okay. All right. Thank you, gentlemen, for both sides. Um, I'm sure there's plenty of people. Also, I want to mention there's a lot of people in the crowd uh, apparently requesting to speak. So we're going to try to leave some time for questions at the end um, and people could come up. If you are coming up with a question, um, please try to you know have in mind who you want to ask it to and uh, try to come up with one question. These are going to be in a little bit um, and just make it a question that's, you know, not super open ended. Um, if we're going to do those uh, a second topic and I'm going to start out with you. Hey, Portfolio Wolf. Hawk with this. Yeah. Yeah. Do George or I not receive the privilege to be able to uh, speak against the misinformation? I, so I, portfolio, listen, man, like in order for this to be a real conversation, like there has to be a stopping enough. point. So we, everybody disagrees with everything yeah. everyone else is saying. Let's move on to the next question. I will respect you when, when you leave something on the record that we don't agree with, like at the end of the day, it's a conversation. Right? Yes. And, and we'll, we'll try to go back and forth. We have four topics and I'll be happy to give uh, the no corner side, uh, the final say on this one. Um, again, right. It's a debate. Um, Okay, so this one is going to be Bitcoin versus the Fed. And the essence of this is that there's been a rocky relationship between Bitcoin and the Fed. Um, every time we seem to hear something from the Fed, Bitcoin reacts. How do you believe the Fed should interact with Bitcoin? What should the Fed, what should that relationship be like? And Chad, is there anything else you wanted to add on to that? Nope. Okay, all right. Starting out with, portfolio. Yeah, so Chad, let's try to put maybe a, some type of time limit on this one because we want to get to some others. Okay. What do you want to do on this one? Yeah, I'll do two minutes. I'll set the timer. Uh, two minutes total? Is this two minutes per side? How do... uh, two minutes we'll... per portfolio, starting with portfolio. Okay. Okay, yeah, we'll, we'll try to do a little bit more just time on this because I know we can all go all night, and obviously we have an amazing audience here. Uh, I think about 230 people that are clearly intrigued and enjoying, um, but we, you know, we want to respect everybody's time. So portfolio, I'll start off with you. Do I have the option? So... My personal view is, is that uh, as it relates to the Fed, a lot of the problems we're trying to solve for or should be trying to solve for can be addressed via policy and they can be addressed through the utilization of the blockchain technology without Bitcoin being involved in the conversation. With that being said, as the, it, it, you know, I, I would rather use my time to respond to the claims that are made as to why there should or should not be a relationship. Because I, I don't think there is a relationship, nor do I believe that there will be. Sure. Appreciate that. Appreciate that, Huck. So um, let me just give a, a couple of comments. I, I don't think Bitcoin cares at all 
about the Fed, right? If anything, the Bitcoin would be better off if the Fed just disappeared. I think a lot of American citizens would be better off if the Fed disappeared as well. I think a lot of the crises, a lot of the problems um, that happen are, are not animal spirits caused, right? It's not some magic potion that, you know, capitalists took that caused the recession. It's actually all the manipulation going on that's uh, distorting market prices in a way that creates bad uh, asset and uh, capital allocation uh, across the marketplace, which causes these boom and bust cycles, which then uh, the Fed now believes they should fix by doing the exact same thing that caused a successive period of crises. So um, Bitcoin is an alternative, right, to central bank managed monetary policy. It's an algorithmic monetary policy, right? It's based on software and code. It does the same thing over and over again, repeatedly across hopefully multiple centuries, right? The the end of the inflation curve for, for Bitcoin uh, is 2139 or 2140 uh, based on the current, uh, you know, forecast. So at that time, there'll be zero terminal inflation, right? And, and so in a world of zero terminal inflation, I'm not really sure what you need the Fed for. So my argument would be today that the Fed has a lot more to lose uh, than Bitcoin. Bitcoin doesn't care. Bitcoin will continue doing what Bitcoin does. Uh, the Fed has no shutoff switch under any sort of regulatory uh, you know, approach. Like there's nobody who can just say, hey, Fed, stop it. You know, you're, you're causing more problems than you're fixing. And so because of that, the mandate is expanded and expanded and expanded. It used to be really, really simple. You know, some form of full employment and some price stability. And now it's basically buying high yield debt uh, bailing people out uh, through the back door, right, by injecting liquidity in the economy in a way that uh, basically gives a life wrap to people that have been, um, you know, irresponsible in the economy. And and so my view would be the Fed, like, I don't really care whether the Fed has a view on Bitcoin. If the Fed tried to do something to stop Bitcoin, like China, you know, trying to hurt Bitcoin by shutting out miners, it may actually be counterproductive. It may actually increase uh, the value of Bitcoin. It may actually uh, cause more people to go to Bitcoin because it's an anti-fragile asset that's completely decentralized. So there's actually no way to stop it. In that sense, the, the Fed is very similar to Bitcoin. There's no on or off switch for either of them. Um, and so maybe Bitcoin is the one thing that can defund the Fed to the point that the Fed no longer has power. George, I don't have you... much to add to that, but if someone else wants to you know, respond to what he said. George, did you want to respond to that? Yeah. Um, again, I think this answer follows the parallel of the prior topic where we're conflating the very severe and gross problems, economic management problems, and saying, yeah, we have those problems, and I can, I can make the case even more forcefully than uh, the other side can as to how screwed up our economic policy is. But Bitcoin doesn't solve for that. Um, and it's not because we have the Fed that we have the problem. It's the Fed did just perfectly fine for decades and decades. It's been the uh, hyper um, uh, politicization of the Fed in the last uh, two or three decades. Um, just as capitalism, people want to railway against capitalism. I think capitalism is the finest economic system that's ever been invented. But the problem is we don't really have capitalism. We have crony capitalism. We have huge distortions in the system. I mean, the reason we had the huge housing bust and credit bust in um, 2007, 2008 was because we didn't have pure capitalism. It was because there was no, the people didn't have skin in the game. Everything was thought to be insured by the government. That's not capitalism. And so coming along and saying Bitcoin solves for this, no, it does not. Um, and then, and then I, I, this is perhaps, I don't know if this was a, 
part of the scope of, of what was intended in this question, but knowing the questions that are coming ahead, I don't really see any future place to answer this. So I'm going to say this uh, right here. Um, I'm going to en enlarge the scope of the question. Um, I'm going to answer the more general question. What should the Fed do about Bitcoin? I don't think the Fed has to do anything about Bitcoin per se. Um, what I think people are being, it's, it's, it's what should Fed do about the crypto ecosystem, which is really the issue. Because to discuss Bitcoin and not talk about stable coins and the massive fraud that is Tether um, is either naive, disingenuous, or just downright dishonest, or just misses the whole point. Because in my opinion, in my opinion, um, Tether has counterfeited tens of billions of dollars of Tether. And in turn, that has been used to jack up the price of Bitcoin through the roof. I believe Tether was the biggest Ponzi scheme in the history of the world. Um, people will say, oh, well, how, you know, what are you worried about? Tether only has a $62 billion market cap. And Bitcoin has, a, I think, around a, a 600 billion, slightly under 600 billion right now. So what's the big deal? Again, many, if not all, I'm going to say all in the Bitcoin community, they never talk about this. They don't understand market structure. And by that, I mean, if you look at the non-hodled supply of Bitcoin, it's estimated somewhere between 12 and 22 percent. Let's be generous and say it's 20 percent. Go back to last fall when Bitcoin was at uh, 11,000. That's what I date this particular bull run started from. Bitcoin had about a $200 billion market cap. If we generously assume that only 20% of that was floating, that's $40 billion. It's, it's from that time almost exactly when Tether started counterfeiting like crazy. If Tether has counterfeited, you know, the amount of Tethers has gone up by 60 billion. So just figure out whatever number you want. It's been counterfeited, 20 billion, 30 billion, 40 billion, 50 billion. Just pick a number. Let's just say it's 30 billion. I mean, if someone, I know from stock markets, anyone, you have to be a rocket scientist to figure this one out. If you have 30 billion of buying power to go into a market where the available supply is only 40 billion, um, you know, it's actually only, it's kind of surprising the price only went up six times. Um, so to me, it's been blatant manipulation. And to just narrowly talk about, you know, the technology of Bitcoin or the price action and, and, and just be oblivious, blind to how the price has, in my opinion, been manipulated by massive counterfeiting of uh, Tether. Um, the, Fed, the Fed, I have no problem with Bitcoin. I mean, once we clean up the stable coins, whether Bitcoin's at 30,000 or 3,000 or 300, let the chips fall where they may. But in my opinion, the whole price we're seeing right now owes itself to, um, to, to, to market structure. It's a complete fugazi. It's all made up. People have this idea that Bitcoin is supposed to go up 200% a year. Yeah, it's gone up 200% a year because it's been manipulated up. I mean, you know, I'll, I'll stop in a second. Um, you know, from my experience in the Japanese stock market, um, you could easily understand this. I mean, if you have two companies, say, with each, with each have a billion dollar market cap and company A, has, the shares are all freely floating and company B is controlled by the family. So let's say only 10% or 100 million shares are floating, $100 million worth of stock is floating. If someone goes in to buy $20 million worth of stock, in the first instance, there's a billion dollars worth of supply you can buy. If you go in to try to buy $20 million worth of stock, in the second case, there's only $100 million supply, you're going to have a huge impact on the price. And again, I, I, I mean, maybe I'm showing my age, I'm a grumpy old man. I don't see any, any, any Bitcoin people talking about this. And whether it's because they're naive, they don't understand financial history, 
or they're being disingenuous because they know what the scam is, or they're being dishonest. And so I know I've expanded the scope of the question, but the, the Fed, again, the problem is not Bitcoin per se. The problem is the ecosystem and the potential for massive fraudulent activity. And therefore, the Fed does need to be concerned with crypto more generally. Thank you. So, uh, George, I, I think it's great that we agree on so many things now. Um, Chad, I would propose we move on to the third uh, question. Yes, sir. Chad, all you? Definitely. Yeah. Um, okay, so I think I'm going to go back to the Bitcoiners for this question here. This one's a two-part question. Um, and so maybe we do this where one of the Bitcoiners asks or answers part of it and the other one answers the other part. And so, uh, Mike, I'll start with you on this one. What what is the real value of Bitcoin? And then maybe Dennis, how do you determine that value? So I think it's important to start with the the fact that you know Bitcoin is not a standard unit of account around the world. So of course uh, the Bitcoin price is always expressed uh, as a derivative in a sense of uh, you know other foreign currencies um, like the yen or or the euro or the dollar, which uh, you know I don't believe the euro is a hard currency. Uh, by the way. I don't think any of these fiat currencies are hard currencies. And so, you know, w- w- the real value of it is, is whatever the supply demand uh, structure would dictate that it is, right? I can, I can uh, pontificate, I can hypothecate about, uh, you know, all kinds of different uh, prices that Bitcoin uh, could be in the future. But the reality is that the market determines that. And I think right now, what's interesting is that you have a fixed supply curve so that's the one piece that's algorithmic. It can't be manipulated. It can't be changed very easily, right? Um, there's going to be 21 million. So we know, we know that part of the equation. What we don't know for sure is the demand side. And so where George, I think, is hitting you know, a couple of good points is around a lot of the demand in a short period of time can be a vapor, right? It can be manipulated. It can be you know, pumped up by leverage. It can be pumped up uh, by you know, fake uh, wash sales happening in Asia. It can be pumped up by Tether. But in the long run, the price will simply follow the supply demand curve of how many people around the world choose to denominate their assets uh, in the hardest uh, currency in human history. Now, one of the reasons why you put your money in Bitcoin um, is because you respect the security infrastructure, right? So you believe that nodes and, and miners and hash rate, right, being directed to this network at the scale that it is today makes it the safest place um, to put your money. You, you may also value the Bitcoin network. Uh, because you live in a place like China or Russia where you're afraid you'll never be able to leave the country with your assets because your assets will be seized. Or you're afraid that if you disagree with the government um, that you won't be allowed to use your assets, right? And so I think, you know, on the demand side, there's a lot of reasons why people are adopting Bitcoin. The cool thing is that we know for sure what the supply side is. So there will be volatility in the price um, over that arc, but we can sort of carefully forecast, you know, over a five or 10 year period that the Bitcoin price will be substantially higher at least as long as we continue to express it in the terms of dollars or yen or euro, right? So my, my base case um, for the price of Bitcoin over the next five years is I, I don't see how, you know, with the, all the money that's being printed in USD, that we don't see a two or $300,000 uh, Bitcoin price at the very, very lowest end and upwards of several million dollars, right? Over the next 10 or 15 years, um, just when you forecast, again, global demand, Assuming there's no alternative, I believe Bitcoin has already won the store of value market in the digital uh, you know, dimension, right? So gold won the non-sovereign 
store value market 5,000 years ago. Um, but in the digital market with millennials and Gen Z and folks that want to be able to use their mobile phones and, and interact instantly 24-7 and don't want to put a gold bar in a safe. I don't know anybody under the age of 20 that owns a safe, um, right? Like these people want Bitcoin. They want a digital store of value. There's a fundamental kind of uh, value to the energy that it takes to create a Bitcoin. There's some fundamental value around the mining equipment, right, that needs to be um, plugged in in order to create hash power to secure that network. And there's some fundamental value as a, as a pure alternative uh, to existing stores of value uh, like gold. And so I, I, I'm very bullish on it. I think the value is very clear. There are fundamental reasons why Bitcoin has value. That it's not all fluff. It's not all leverage. It's not all tether. Um, while tether may have some impact on the short term price, when you look out five or 10 years, I think it's completely irrelevant. So, George, uh, <clears throat> I'm sure you have something to say, but I'm going to just chime in. And I think one of the points that... Uh, Mike made is, you know, how is Bitcoin measured or how is it reflected in terms of various countries that use it? And you make a fantastic point is that there's effectively nothing there to use as a measuring stick, because unlike uh, the U.S. dollar or the yen, where you measure that currency by its ability to be used in trade and uh, the sovereignty ability of taxation as well as society's ability to produce and be productive where you can measure for fiat based on each individual country which utilizes it you can measure it there's a direct measurement there as with bitcoin you can't do that and you know effectively what you're speaking about in terms of uh the distribution of, of bitcoin only those that hold wealth today will be able to partake in this land grab and it will effectively change nothing. And if you want to talk about moral hazard, we can go on game theory and we can say if the safety nets are not in place from government entities, those same players that control capital assets perhaps may act in a more prudent manner and it would not change anything for society as a whole, globally speaking. Um, is the other side to speak up or can I speak up now? Please go ahead. Dennis, do you want to make a comment comment about the Cantillon effect or, or um, about, I, about all of the uh, perverse? Yeah, incentives? I mean, I um, I'm putting myself in the mental framework of the second part of the question, and was kind of waiting for you to finish up this one. So um, I, I would like to, you know, have you talk about that if you think it's a great point to bring up. But yeah. Dennis you, Dennis, you go ahead now, or have, we'll have George go. I don't have okay. anything else to add right now. On this. Um, yeah, I mean, as far as the Cantillon effect is, is concerned, uh, it creates a lot of perverse incentives. Uh, the Cantillon, for those that don't know, effect is um, because of the printing of money, um, uh, what happens is that it, when it enters the marketplace, those that are closest to it are impacted the least uh, because the, the market hasn't priced in the inflation from from the money being printed. And so what it does is it actually uh, rewards those at the very top of the system that are closest to the money printer, and those at the very bottom um, are, are, are impacted negatively because the dollars don't flow through the system till them until very late after the, you know, the levels of inflation have, have set in. So uh, the perverse incentive is to constantly suck up to the money printer, get as close as, as you possibly can to the money printer, and, and it allows you to hoard money and, and, you know, obviously buy up assets for better prices before the inflation hits the marketplace. What was the second part of the question, Chad? 
the second part of the question was how do you determine the value of Bitcoin? That's right. Yeah. So, <clears throat> I mean, some people here, I think even are, you know, the opponents on the other side, if you want to call them that, uh, make good points that we've, we, we don't have metrics. We don't know how to, how to measure this stuff. And I agree because this has never happened before. We've never had a pristine asset dropped onto the planet earth. Um, it's, it's never occurred. So we have no data to back it up or discuss it. So we have to approach it from the framework that we won't really truly know the path that Bitcoin is going to take. We don't really know how it's going to get to, you know, to be a global reserve currency status as far as the, the number is is concerned. Um, but we do have some metrics um, and we do have history uh, that we can go back and look at. Gold itself um, did, was some of the best form of money that we've ever had. Um, and Bitcoin is infinitely better than gold. Uh, I say infinitely quite literally because gold has an inflation rate of roughly 3%. Whereas once Bitcoin is completely mined, has an inflation of 0%. And 3% divided by 0% is an incalculable number. Uh, but Bitcoin is also better in many other ways. It is much easier to store. It's much easier to transport. Um, gold's value comes from almost entirely its monetary premium. I know a lot of people on the other side are like, oh, it's use case this, use case that, industrial use bullshit, whatever. But originally, money had or gold had none of those uses. It was originally a money. It came onto the planet Earth, and people discovered it and uh, as a collectible, and then eventually it became a store of value, and then a medium of exchange, and then a unit of account. Um, but it, it didn't have any industrial uses in order to become money. In fact, the premium that is placed on gold kills its ability to be used. In industry, and you know, gold might actually become useful in industry once it's had its monetary premium sucked out. If we look back at what happened with gold and silver and all other types of money really going down the chain, um, we can see that better money always demonetizes the lower quality version of money. We've seen it with gold and silver, but obviously, we've seen that happen with you know, as I mentioned earlier, salt, uh, there's special rocks, seashells. Um, all types of money that are, you know, lower in quality become demonetized by the superior money. Bitcoin is a better money in, in, in honestly, it's, it's almost every single metric. It has the best of both worlds. It's extremely scarce and it's effective for commerce. Um, Bitcoin will, at the very minimum, demonetize gold. And it's not just better than gold, though. It's, you know, gold is one aspect we can look at. That's a $10 trillion market cap. But it, it will also, in my opinion, demonetize because real estate, precious metals, art, bonds, S&P 500 have become a version of money, a version of, a version of a place to store your wealth. That entire marketplace is roughly $900 trillion. Bitcoin is so much better as a store of value. The question becomes... And we said earlier, infinitely better because of the 0% inflation rate. It becomes a question of, you know, not, not like when it will take over the marketplace, but how much of it will, it will take. So if you do rough math when you're trying to decide, okay, well, you know, gold completely, almost completely demonetized silver. 
let's do some rough math. If Bitcoin demonetizes or steals a store of value from that $900 trillion marketplace, and that puts Bitcoin, if you do 10% of that marketplace, at $4.5 million per Bitcoin, and a bullish case, which is really a bearish case for me, uh, at 25%, Bitcoin will take of that marketplace, we'll put it at $12 million per Bitcoin. And at the same time, not only is it the best store of value ever made in the sense that your asset is protected, but it is also extremely liquid. Ultimately, I think that Bitcoin will take the store of value property from pretty much everything that exists on the planet. There is even a great meme that goes along with it. Infinity divided by 21 million which is really 18.5 million because we've already lost about 1.5 billion, 1.5 million Bitcoin. So that's a rough estimation on how you can value what Bitcoin will become worth. And that is not taking into case inflation. So Dennis, uh, you talked about the value if it gets X market share. What's the value if it gets no market share? Well, it already has taken some of gold's market share, in my opinion. So, I, I mean, if it takes no market share, that's what you, you mean we're sitting still. I don't know what the point would be there. Well, I mean, if we're going to use the assumption that's, uh, that it's going to indefinitely take away market share from other assets that are stores of value, then I could, you know, just on that same logic, make the argument that it doesn't. Sure. So it'll either go to a, it'll either go to infinity or it'll go to zero. You're, you're probably right. Okay. Just clarifying. Thank you. But the uh, but it's really starting to look like infinity, you know, and how many more times can you watch a Gardner hike cycle and decide that, you know, you're going to wait and see that it's a bubble. I mean, we've never seen an asset monetize itself before our very eyes. This has never happened in human history and it's happening right now. That's why for a lot of people, I think it's difficult because they see it as a bubble, but they don't understand that it's actually just being monetized. So could I uh, could, could, could I respond, please, or is it the other side's turn to respond? Go go ahead. So um, I'm really kind of worried. Um, I'm 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 really kind of worried um, by some of the things that I'm hearing. Um, I hope you guys don't lose a lot of money. Um, I'm a student of history. Um, you know, gold. Um, is, is, is viewed as a store of value because it's been around for thousands of years and it's survived wars and famines and everything else and it's managed to hold its value in real terms. So it's earned that. It's been battle tested. It's taken thousands of years. Bitcoin's been around, what, 11, 12 years? So it's physically impossible um, to, 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 for it to, even if it was the greatest thing they ever invented, it's physically impossible for it to be deemed a store of value because it hasn't been around long enough. And I would categorically say that most certainly is not a store of value. Some, an asset which goes up and down as much as this is not a store of value. It's also not a medium of exchange. Um, Bitcoin, in my opinion, I mean, I, I know there are a lot of uh, technology applications, and that's great. And, and I know people are running businesses off of those, and that's fine. And there's a lot of applications, and I think we're going to have digital currencies, and I'm all a big believer in that. But... That's a totally different discussion from what the value of a Bitcoin is. Um, and I think it was uh, the first speaker, Mike, or I, I, I'm not sure who was, who was talking. Someone said, what's the value of 
what's the value of Bitcoin? They refer to the price. No, the price is not the value. These are two different things. The value of something or the price of something, the price can be determined by a lot of things. But that's not necessarily the value. The price could be, for instance, what is um, what is the market in a, in, a, in a tight market? In an, let's just take the oil market as an example. In a, in a, in a very tight market, it's what's the marginal the marginal buyer willing to pay. You know, in a weak market where there's tons of excess supply, it's like what is the marginal seller willing to sell it at? This idea that price is truth is one of the most insane things I've ever heard in my life. There. Are, these guys on CNBC, the Nigerian brothers, I mean, they're completely insane. Price is not truth. Price is a reflection of what buyer and seller are willing to pay for that asset at that or that, that item at that particular point in time. But as I said, it could be what is the marginal seller willing to, to sell it at, what the marginal buyer is willing to buy it at. It could also be what's the value? What's the liquidation value of it? Let's say you know, somebody had to sell everything or, and, and you just had to, you know, you're not even trying to do it on a price sensitive basis. You just want to liquidate it. Okay. Or what's the replacement value? You know, what does it cost to mine a Bitcoin, which I think is around $9,000 now or something like that. You know, what does it cost to produce a, a, a barrel of oil? So the idea that price is truth is, 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 is a, is a total canard, you know, just think about it. I'm looking right now in front of me, just so I got the numbers straight. In uh, September of 1979, silver was $9. It went from nine, in five months, it went from nine to 50. Was price truth at 50? You know, was price truth when SPACs were selling at insane valuations three months ago? Was price truth when Enron was 100 in 2002? Was price truth when Lehman Brothers was eighty in two thousand eight? Was price? Truth? I, I I just don't understand the, this point here. You keep repeating it. We didn't okay, say sorry, price is truth. Okay, we, well, never, we never said that. Uh, it'd be not. No, it'd be nice to not face interruptions, right? Um, I try not to interrupt people. I'm not always successful at it, but I wish others could. George, do you want to finish? Yeah, I will, I will finish. But 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 the thing is, when in point of fact, when someone the question is, what's the value? People start talking about the price. Those are two different things. One's mistaking one for the other. Anyway, the point I want to make is you know, I'll, just, I'll be done in 30 seconds. Um, you know, it's sort of like if you have a, a richly valued growth stock, a high P.E. stock, you know, whether the stock is selling it. And it can have a great idea for future invention, you know, a great drug. But whether the company's valued at a hundred million dollars, a billion dollars, a hundred billion dollars, it makes a huge difference what you, what your return is going to be. And so you try to value that. The price you see on the screen is just it's just it's just fear and greed. So I I just think there's 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 no price discovery really in a market with you want to with the value. I mean most assets most assets you value them off the cash flows they generate or the perceived cash flows are going to generate. Okay, things like gold. They're, they are a store of value. They are a collectible. Okay, Bitcoin is not a store of value. Okay, it doesn't generate any cash flow. So to me, you know, the Bitcoin at thirty thousand, wherever it is, is just completely preposterous. Yeah, I mean, I don't know where you got stuck on price. Other than that, was the question that was asked us. Um, but I, I can understand that you want to talk about value. Um, more than happy to talk about the value of Bitcoin and why. Uh, it, it deserves that price. The, the the numbers that I'm that I'm talking about, uh, Bitcoin is one of the first monies 
that we've ever existed, first of all, that cannot be debased. So th that is an extremely valuable aspect. A 0% inflation rate means it can store all the value terminally 100% over time. It is free to store in large amounts and in small amounts. So typically, if you have large amounts of gold, you're not going to store it at your home. Maybe some you know, super hell-bent dudes out there, gold bugs, might do that. But they usually don't. And if they do, they probably have a $20,000, $30,000 safe at minimum. It's resistant to thievery and seizure. Um, so I can store it on uh, my hardware wallet. Uh, it's very difficult to take, especially if I have a multi-sig setup. Gold, on the other hand, you know, you can physically take it unless you're, again, giving up control over custody, which is another problem with gold. That's actually the reason why gold failed ultimately as, as the predominant form of money because governments were able to seize it and control the supply. Uh, it's extremely divisible which means that you can divide it down to literally fractions of a penny, um, which makes it very usable for commerce. It's fungible. So, you know, each one is the same. You know, you're not going to get tricked when you, you know, when someone sends you a Bitcoin, you can verify that it is the, you know, the Bitcoin that it says it is. And the, the, all Bitcoin are equal. It's extremely into that, you know, same chain. It's extremely easy to authenticate. You know, uh, we had on a guy last night who is an actual gold bug who's coming over to Bitcoin and even he said it's very difficult because of the different types of metals out there, like tungsten, which has the same like atomic weight as gold. It's very difficult to authenticate and make sure you're not buying fake gold. That is not a problem with Bitcoin. Uh, it's easy and free to transport. Also, not possible with gold. Gold is very heavy, and in large amounts, you might have to pay someone to transport it for you. Uh, speed of transaction, also, again, very, very fast, very, very extremely fast as a settlement layer. So when competing with, like, say, the Fedwire, it's roughly 60 minutes. Uh, Fedwire, I mean, what are we talking, Mike, 24, 48 hours? And, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think that's a point we need to fight over, but it, obviously it's, it's, in, it's uh, orders of magnitude better. And also with the Lightning Network built on top of Bitcoin. It has instant and nearly free transactions. Uh, I think that it's hard for some people when they're looking at this thing to understand the value, but you need to understand that it is better than any ever type of money ever, that has ever existed. It's better than any other store of value that's ever existed. It's better than any other medium exchange that's ever existed. And it will absolutely displace all global currencies and all store of values, which is why I see it you know, as, as a $900 trillion marketplace. And that's why I see it taking at least 25% of that marketplace. There are people that believe that it'll take 100% of that marketplace, which I think is a little bit far-fetched because obviously homes to some extent will retain some of their value as, as a depreciating asset, which they should be. They should not be something that grows in value over time. Maybe the land obviously is, is something scarce, but go, as you can see here, Bitcoin has a lot of value. Uh, it also allows you to cross borders with your wealth. If you're someone who's living in a uh, third world country that's being destabilized and you need to leave and worry and you're worried about being able to leave with your wealth, you can leave with a, a, a passphrase in your mind and they cannot st steal it from you. So there's, a, there's incredible value when you're talking about Bitcoin. So, so uh, D uh, Dennis, uh, let me just ask you uh, first a point and then a question. Uh, the reason I spoke about value is because that is what was the question was asked. What is the value? How would you determine the value, not the price? And I can't know if it was one, one of the two of you start talking about the price or somehow that's the value. It, that's not the value. Um, and then to your points, you described many of the properties of Bitcoin. But, you know, 
how much cash flow does Bitcoin generate? I mean, any company, any, you know, assets are, are, are invested in either because they're, they generate cash flows or you expect the price is going to go up or it's a store of value. Okay. Bitcoin is not generating any cash flows. Maybe in the future uses of it will, but you cannot begin to justify the current price on any cash flows. So strike that one off the list. Um, I mean, we can. No, well, well, hold on. How much cash flow is is Bitcoin generating right now? I mean, you can borrow, you can lend out, you can lend out your Bitcoin and generate cash flow. You can do that today. So I don't know what you mean by you can't generate cash flow with your Bitcoin. What what I mean by that? And and the and and George, the Bitcoin network does generate fees uh, and new blocks for the miners, right? New block rewards. Whole nother discussion. I mean, that's like no. Sure, but I just want to. I I think it's fair to point out. I don't think you guys are understanding the proper economic nomenclature. For that matter, you could say cash generates income as well. It's a ludicrous. I would never say that's a ludicrous statement. All right. Um, One does not own cash for its income producing properties. Um, So that's kind of an absurd statement. Um, So it's not an income producing asset. Doesn't generate cash flows. Um, It um, uh, it is not by definition a store. Any asset that can go up sixfold in one year and down 50 percent and has only been in existence for five years, 12 years does not have the, 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 the experience, almost by definition, it would be impossible. Even if Bitcoin is the most fabulous asset that's ever been invented in the history of the world, it's got to be battle-tested and time-tested. It's only been on the road for 12 years. And when you look at those 12 years, it's been incredibly volatile. So it does not, if you look in traditional, classical, economic textbooks, it is most definitely not a store of value. I mean, so, over, so, over so, the long so, term, it's gone up in value, which is really what a store of value is. No, 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 no. That 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 that, that that's a speculative asset. That 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 that's FOMO. I mean, I'm reading the that, definition. It says a store of value is an asset, currency, or commodity that maintains its value over a long period. So yeah, that, that, yeah, that maintains its value. That's different from a speculative asset that people are are going are people aren't buying gold because they're, they're trying to get because they 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 think it's the the fastest uh, car on the block. They're buying it mostly to protect their wealth. Okay, the difference between a store of value. And something that you're buying for capital appreciation, those are vastly different things. Bitcoin is not a store of value. It's an emergent store of value. It's being well, yeah, monetized. Yeah, yeah. And it's only got 12 years of history. Gold's got 5,000. I, I mean, is that the final argument? Like, you guys are like, well, it hasn't been around long enough, so fuck it. Well, I think it's actually the, it's actually the yeah, best Yeah, I mean, but it's the only argument, so. really. No, 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 listen, That's listen, it. Listen. No, listen, you're entitled to your own opinion. We all are. But you're not entitled to your own facts. You're committing a logical fallacy. It's not a store of value. I'm sorry to break the news to you. You're committing a logical fallacy. It, it, it's it's an really emergent store of value. Emergent, yeah. Emergent store of value. It's been around 12 years. Okay, so maybe a few hundred years so, from now, we can see how it's turned out, okay? So, George, can I... Let's, let, let's let George... Dennis, let's let, let's let George have the last word on this, Dennis, and we can move on to the next yeah, question. George, I, I was just going to ask I have, you... I, I have nothing more to say. I mean, it's, it's just... It's just it's extraordinary. I mean, it's just, it well, bears no relationship to economic history or economic textbooks or what's being suggested. So George, George, can so, I ask you a question on, on, on your point there? Um, so is, I guess, obviously the point you're saying is, is, your point you're making is that obviously it's only been around 12 years, so it can't be considered a store of value. Is there a point, a year point at which it does become a store of value? I don't uh, even know. I don't even. It's, it's not necessarily even passage of years, like you know, automatically when it's a hundred years old or whatever like that. It's it's an environmental thing in the sense that 
I don't mean the environment pollution in the sense that you have to see how it acts during crises, during booms and busts. I mean, the reason people, I mean, you'll laugh, but one of the reasons, you know, with gold, I mean, one of the people, things people like to do is they always try to figure out, you know, how many ounces of gold uh, does it take uh, to buy a suit or a barrel of oil or whatever. Okay. It, Cause it, it, it represents a claim on real assets. All right. It's, you have to put in the time. It's just, okay, just like an athlete, or if you want to be accomplished in anything, you got to put in the time to earn the, the title store of value. Okay. Just because someone read in the textbook that, oh, we're going to call this a store of value and it's been around for 12 years, that's just complete nonsense. I'm going to propose a 2,400 years as the over under, but I think we should move on to the fourth question. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't get a say in this question at all. <laughs> Okay, portfolio. You want to close it out here? Go ahead. Go um, ahead. Yeah, yeah, I'll, yeah I'll, go ahead, Huck. Uh, a three-second thing, um, Dennis. By what you've shared, right? By that standard, everything, whether it's a product or a service or a commodity, by what you're defining, we should only have uh, whatever asset or product or service has the best and most pristine characteristics in utilization today. And I would argue. That's hardly ever the case. So I think using that as a basis, using the characteristics to say just because the characteristics are stronger than everything else, uh, psychology would lend itself to its use by default. I, I think there's a lot of uh, flaws in, in the logic that you utilize to make some of these arguments. I mean, it's based off history. Humans have always chased after the hardest ten, money ten that's ever been. You know, it's, right. no, it's actually 10,000 years of history. Human beings have always chased after the hardest uh, money that protects their wealth. So it's, it's not based after 10 years. If anything, fiat is the experiment and is absolutely failing. The British pound has been around for over 350 years, but mm -hmm. you know what? That's a different conversation. Um, Bitcoin's been around for 12 years. Let, let's let's wait a little bit. So can we have that be the last word, Chad, and move on to the last question? I know there's people in the audience who want to ask yep. questions Give as well. Over to you, Wolf. Sure. So for this last question, we're just talking about the market structure and supply slash demand of Bitcoin and just thoughts on what the structure is, right? Um, there's a, or I, I wouldn't say there's an argument, there's a clear and defined supply uh, within Bitcoin. And, you know, some of that's already been kind of, I think, lost it either. So it's even smaller than that amount. And by my understanding, the uh, total amount will be mined by 2140. Um, the amount that is applicable will be pretty much fully mined by 2040. Um, and the last 100 years are pretty much negligible. Um, so that's kind of a little bit on just the you know supply demand from what I've garnered from some podcasts that I've done. And so I just wanted to hear the thoughts on kind of that supply and demand. Um, and Chad, I think you had one thing you wanted to add on to that. No, that's good. Uh, we'll go over to, to Dennis to start. No, if you could go to Mike, actually, for this question, I would prefer. Okay. Um, this is going to be much more in his wheelhouse than me. So, so actually, um, I was going to defer to George because George has 40 years of market uh, experience. I have only 20. So, George, you've got double my experience. Why don't you lead off and I'll respond to you and I'll try and I'll be gentle. I promise. Do we need the question repeated? George. Yes. Please repeat the question. Yes. Sure. Uh, general thoughts on the market structure of supply and demand for Bitcoin and 
the ideology of having a fixed supply here and how that will factor in, um, you know, long term. The idea, well, first, by one, one, okay, I got that. So just, just for the record, just in precision, just so we all are clear here, there was a misstatement of fact earlier. Um, last year, the, the the supply of gold goes up by about uh, two and a half million tons, uh, two and a half tons. I always get the, the zeros mixed up. But the global supply of gold went up by about 1.3% last year, which is actually slower than the supply of uh, Bitcoin. I appreciate there's only ever going to be 21 Bitcoin, million Bitcoin, but let's just be very clear about what's going on right now. The supply of Bitcoin is actually increasing at a, at a pace faster than the supply of gold. Uh, just, just a detail. Um, the idea to only ever be 21 million of, of it, um, that can create scarcity value. Um, you know, why is in the same way that gold has a very limited ability? And by the way, I'm not a gold bug. I'm not, this is not, you know, I'm not here defending gold. I'm just using gold as, as, as the closest existing asset we have similar to um, Bitcoin. So by way of example, um, the reason gold holds, holds its value in real terms is because it is a scarce asset. Um, and, you know, that's why copper is not selling at $1,800 an ounce because it's not as scarce as gold. Um, and so it gets to, you know, how is it going to be replicated and so on and so forth. But where, what the future price trajectory is going to be, um, you know, I have a real problem. I come back to, I mentioned market structure before about what I believe to be the very concentrated, uh, not what I believe, what's been all the literature suggests, that the non hollowed supply of gold is only, of uh, Bitcoin is only somewhere between 10 and 20%. Uh, and as I mentioned, the numbers I ran through earlier, uh, there was th th that translated generously to a $40 billion supply going back to last October. And I believe Tether has counterfeited tens of billions of Tether since then. Uh, and so they, you know, in a market where you've got a, where you've got a uh, price and elastic supply, it, it shoots the price up in the same way silver went from, you know, five to 50 and back to five. Um, and so people, again, I don't see it discussed anywhere. It just blows my mind. Um, and you know, it's kind of interesting because like, let's be honest, a lot of the fiat guys, they don't understand uh, crypto. And I think a lot of the crypto guys don't really understand fiat. They don't understand market structure. Um, and I, I used the example, you know, a few minutes ago about, the, about the, you know, my experience in the Japanese stock market and how difference in float. Can, it can and does have a huge differential impact on price evolution. So the price that you're seeing right now is, in my opinion, uh, because because supply is so tight, it's kind of artificial. Um, you know, imagine if we were having a discussion, you know, about, you know, why is silver at $50 and the next thing you know, it's at five. Um, so I, I think I think the 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 uh, the Gini coefficient on uh, Bitcoin is abysmal, um, which from a statistical standpoint makes it much less reliable um, in, 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 in terms of volatility. And so I, I think the price signal you get from Bitcoin can be particularly misleading. Um, and, you know, it, it's something which, again, um, you know, I, I acknowledge most people in the fiat world, and I was certainly was one of them a few months ago, don't really understand the ins and outs of, of, of crypto. But I would equally say that almost everybody I've come in contact with in the, in, the, in the crypto world doesn't really understand basic laws of supply and demand and market structure 
I advise everyone they need to, you know, they need to bone up on that. So I don't know. I, I just think it's a very concentrated market and the price signal therefore is unreliable. And by the way, that, that it is so concentrated, it, go, it, it goes up so fast. It's the old saying, you take the, you take the uh, escalator up and the elevator down. And that's what I expect going to happen. So George, I really appreciate uh, your points. Thanks for sharing. You do have more experience in uh, traditional markets than anyone else on this, on this space. Um, you know, in listening to you uh, talk a little bit about the market structure, the things where I agree are that, you know, Bitcoin is a much more nascent market. So Bitcoin's only been around 12 years, right? Um, you know, early exchanges like Mt. Gox failed. Um, there's been a lot of fraud. There's been a lot of lost Bitcoin. There's been a lot of people who didn't protect their keys. Um, there have been a lot of players, uh, you know, exchanges that just disappeared, you know, like Quadriga CX, where like the guy just disappeared and we still don't know what happened. Um, so for sure, there are shenanigans in the ecosystem, um, as there would be with any Wild West uh, type of scenario, like a, like a gold rush, right? It reminds me a lot of like the gold rush in the 1840s, where you know, there's a lot of high quality infrastructure being built, like new towns around wells and, you know, new services like Wells Fargo and, right, like there's a lot of, there's a lot of value that's created in the ecosystem, but there's also a lot of charlatans. There, there are also a lot of uh, scammers and fraudsters. There are people with guns that want to kill you. Um, and so, you know, look, the market structures evolved dramatically, right? So today you have a bunch of U.S. regulated exchanges um, that we're pretty certain, even if they haven't done an attestation, um, that, you know, the, because they're not doing a lot of lending, they're not doing a lot of rehypothecation, right? They're, they're not doing anything funky in terms of trying to create yield. Uh, with those assets, I'm pretty certain that, for example, Coinbase and, and maybe even Gemini are not going to fuck their customers, right? Um, and that's a major change, right? And, and it's kind of amazing that in a, a market that's only 10 or 12 years old, that you have these trusted intermediaries now um, that for a large percentage of the people in the ecosystem, right, that they're going to trust that. So so I think the, the infrastructure, the, the custody, the wallets, right, some of the transfer services, like if you see, see things like Fireblocks that are coming online, um, it's pretty impressive infrastructure development in a short period of time. And obviously it's enabled by the internet and mobile phones and a bunch of other exponential technologies stacked on top of each other, which is what makes this whole ecosystem work. As it relates to the on-chain, because you talked about the, the Gini coefficient, right? Like it is fundamentally true that there will be, um, you know, situations where there's less equality, um, right? Like just in any capitalist society, there's going to be winners and losers. And I think Bitcoin doesn't change that fundamentally, right? So there are people who recognize early that Bitcoin is the best money in human history and they either accumulated or they acquired it in some way and they kept it. Um, and, you know, like, I don't think those people are necessarily smarter, but they were definitely more prescient in thinking through where the world was going if they didn't lose their keys. And so, I, I, look, I, I hear your, your points loud and clear. Um, I, I think you'd be surprised. There are people like me who've been investing in traditional equities for 20 years with a value orientation, margin of safety type of investor. Um, and I'm listening to you talk and it's a little insulting, right? Because um, actually we know a little bit more than you think. What you might be missing is a total change in paradigm because in your lifetime, you've never seen a decentralized monetary system that's permissionless be dropped into being, right? Everything you've seen in your lifetime is government mandates, right? Government's deciding that something's going to happen. And so while I, I agree that there are many Bitcoiners that do need to brush up on their economic history, there are also a lot of old timers that need to brush up on technology and new paradigms and understand that the world could actually change in ways that are unpredictable. So, so, so my portfolio, when, 
go, go ahead. If he wants to go, then no, I'll, George, I'd like to go I, I, I after think, him. Um, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, so I, I, I want to bring the conversation back to the real question. And the real question was market structure of supply and demand of Bitcoin. And I want to go back to what George talked about. Let's talk about the structure. Let's state facts. There's 20, uh, 21 million Bitcoins that are ever going to be available. That's a fact. There's 10% that's available for free trade today because it is not in the hands of hodlers. That, that may not be a fact, but I think even those in the Bitcoin community can corroborate that number. And if not, you know, maybe you can share with me what that number is. There are hundreds of other coins that have a finite supply. That's a fact. Today, Bitcoin has been used for no purpose other than speculation. That is a fact. So when we talk about what the structure is today, there are a limited number of holders that were early adopters. And if you talk to me about number of wallets and how they're growing, well, let's see where the concentration of coins is. Just because someone holds 0.00001 of a coin across 5,000 wallets, that doesn't give credence to the argument that it's not a concentrated asset. Okay. Uh, Dennis, you want to respond? Uh, yeah, I guess um, I guess it's just, uh, you know, it's an interesting argument to say that Bitcoin is highly centralized and and it has a bad Gini coefficient when we literally live in the worst uh, era of inequality in modern history. Um, I think, what is it, 1% of the top 1% own as much as the bottom 99% in the world. So it's just kind of a strange argument to try to attack a, uh, a nascent emergent store of value as being uh, um, highly centralized, but I'll take it on. And it's, it's kind of a strange claim to say that when you live in a world where it's becoming more and more centralized as time goes on, the trend has not been broken for since I've been alive. And in the Bitcoin world, uh, if you look out and you zoom out, which I think is a problem a lot of times when people try to attack Bitcoins, they really like to they really like to hone in on very short periods of time. They're like, oh, look, it just crashed. You're like, okay, we'll zoom out, and you realize it's been going up since it like came into inception, since it was discovered or created. Uh, same thing with the supply. The supply was extremely centralized. Like literally, only one person was using it. Maybe a few people were using it in the beginning, and now you have 40 million users. So to to make the claim that Bitcoin supply is centralized, sh sure, if you want to, you know, say over the last two years it's become more centralized, or over the last year, but that's that's a not a very smart way to measure things. It's it's a it's in the Bitcoin community we we often tell people to zoom out or lower their time preference and 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 start to see the bigger picture because this is going to take a long time. All of this is not going to happen overnight. Um, obviously, you know, it took gold hundreds or not maybe thousands of years to get to the place where it was at. Uh, we believe that with Bitcoin and the era of technology and, and the digital wave that we live, we live through that this will spread much, much faster. Obviously we have the means and the ability to spread a protocol or software all over the planet overnight. And you can't do that with gold. You could never do have to do that with physical gold in the past. So uh, I think just zoom out a little bit and you'll notice that 
Bitcoin supply is, is, is not highly centralized and um, uh, it's becoming more decentralized over time. I think there's a really great article, obviously also written by, um, written by Glassnode um, that people would be interested in if, if you want to learn more about why uh, Bitcoin supply is not highly centralized. I, I, I don't see it as accurate. Uh, also, it, you know, the way Bitcoin works, it's going to force people to actually have to provide value. I don't think anybody's saying that like you're going to have perfect distribution all over the planet. I think I think like an, I think that's an impossible metric for anybody. You know, wealth naturally always centralizes, but it's a more fair system. The current system is those at the top and those close to the money printers are the ones that benefit from the creation or printing of m new money. Whereas in the Bitcoin system, you actually have to provide value and you have to create and add something to the system in order for someone to give you Bitcoin. You can't just suck up to the money printers. So it creates a more fair system. Uh, supply is becoming more decentralized over time. That's the trend that's not been broken. Um, that would be my argument. So Dennis, um, I'll, I'll, I'll ask you a couple of things, right? And I, I want to start with just the completely flawed comparison. So if you want to talk about the number of holders of an asset or a currency, and you want to use that as the measurement of concentration, the number of people, uh, the number of wallets that exist for Bitcoin you mentioned is 40 million. The number of holders in fiat are north of 8 billion, right? So if that's the measure that we're using, I, I think it's a losing argument that you're making. I think a more fair assessment would be the amount of wealth concentrated in a number of wallets or a number of hands because you you try to draw a parallel to holders of fiat wealth or capital assets and the number of wallets on bitcoin it's comparing apples to oranges did we lose him or is it just me i heard his question uh, so it, um, it cut off there for a second. I, I think I lost him, the point he was trying okay, to make. Okay, do you want to go once more, Portfolio? Finish it. Well, if you if, right if you want to restate it, please feel free, because I don't want to risk cutting out again. It was just the very end that I didn't hear the last like couple sentences. You didn't get to make that final point. Yeah, I think you can hear you now. <laughs> I, I'm talking about the comparison that we're using in terms of concentration and decentra decentralization between fiat or gold or other assets and Bitcoin and use, utilizing the metric of 40 million wallets as demonstration for there not being any real concentration in the wealth that's held in Bitcoin. You know, on that same note, I can say that fiat is highly decentralized because it's held by 8 billion people instead of 40 million that hold wallets for Bitcoin. So if you want to talk about... Yeah, so sorry for using the wrong word. Let me go ahead and just put it up here for you because I just knew that was this was going to become the thing. And uh, we had this argument last time, you know, whatever, 40 million users. But when you go from one user to 40 million users, you're obviously becoming, um, you know, you're becoming more decentralized. But let me go ahead and just throw this chart up here so, so, so my point everybody was, can see. But... Portfolio, portfolio, portfolio. Can I just jump in here, please? Let me sure. see here. Can you, can you yield to me? I just Dennis. want everyone to see this chart um, that I'm throwing up on top. And it shows from the beginning of Bitcoin's uh, creation um, till now, um, the supply of Bitcoin becoming more decentralized and evenly distributed. Where are we supposed to see this chart? I'm sorry. We're, it's, it's on, on the, the top. It's on the top here, uh, okay. uh, George. If you want to make your... 
I, I can't see it, but that's okay. But okay. I think, I think, I think we're, 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 we're talking across purposes here, Dennis. I don't think you're grasping what we're, okay, there we go. Um, hold on, let me see this thing here. I can't, can't make it bigger. Huh. Click on Sorry. the tweet and then click on the photo. Okay. Yeah, click on the tweet. I'm clicking on it, but I can't. It's, it's a quality of outcomes. Uh, that people seem to be concerned about, but it's really just a quality of opportunity no, no. that Dennis and I are talking about. It's a, qu a quality of opportunity. We just want a level playing field, George, where if you provide economic value in society, you create a product consumers want, that you're able to uh, you know, take care of your, your family. And the, the system, the way we view it today is that it's, it's, it's not a quality of, of opportunity at all. It's actually, right. you should work at Goldman Sachs, yeah. right? Like that, that's, 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 that's the the lesson that we've all gotten. We should go work at Goldman Sachs because we should be as close to the money printer as yeah, possible. Listen, if we're going to get into a bidding war who hates Goldman Sachs more, I'm telling you, you're going to lose. I hate them more than you do. And so again, what's happening here is you're conflating two different things. This is not about, if we're talking about the price of Bitcoin or the market structure, I, I don't think you guys quite understand the point we're making. It's not, you know, as the number of Bitcoin holders gone from, you know, X to 10 X or whatever the number is. It's the concentration. It's what percentage of the market. Yeah, we understand that. Okay, and your and your argument does nothing to address that. I mean, look, because... I'm showing you the chart, dude. Just go look at the chart. It shows you that supply, not users, is becoming more Show decentralized. Me... No, but, but me... let that, no, portfolio. Let me finish it. The the not I, you'll have to tell me, but everything I've read suggests that the non-hodled supply of and I can show you paper after paper after paper. The non-hodled supply of Bitcoin is thought to be somewhere between twelve and twenty-two percent, and that's and if that's correct, and I've read multiple. Oh, so you okay? So you're saying like um, available supply on the marketplace is a problem? Because I, I, that's a totally different argument. Yeah, like that, 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 that's what I'm I think. That some people have done I'm... estimates that five to six million Bitcoin are available on the open marketplace, but some estimated to be much lower than that. I, I guess I don't see the I don't see the problem though with that. I think you need to read up on market structure then, uh, because the, you're, I, I, I fear I, I, that everything I've said, you just went completely over your head. I tried to give the example of two Japanese companies a while ago, one which has 10% free float and one which has 100% free float. And I guess somehow so, that example- Those are stocks. It, it doesn't matter. It's market structure is market structure. If you have, It's money. Listen, it's totally different. No, 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 Dennis. Dennis, it doesn't matter where we're- we're talking trading beanie babies or bitcoins. I or think stocks. it does matter if you're trading beanie babies or stocks, and let alone beanie babies Dennis, or the hardest Dennis, money that's ever created in human history. Dennis, my friend, Dennis, my friend, you're committing an erroneous logical fallacy. If we have two, if we have two assets, okay, you know, and there's a hundred million of each, and but asset number one is widely distributed. No one is locking it up. But asset number two, one guy owns 90% of them. So he owns 90 million of the 10 million. So if you want to go buy some, there's really only 10 million to buy, not 100 million, as in the case of example number one. It mm -hmm. doesn't matter whether it's Beanie Babies, stocks, or Bitcoins. It's all the same thing. It's this is market structure. If you go to buy, if you go to buy $10,000 of the asset, which has a smaller available supply, you're going to have a bigger impact on the price 
than the asset which has a much available bigger supply. I don't know what it is you don't understand about. I I, I don't see the problem with the price going. I, I like I just don't understand what the claim that you're trying to make. I get that you're saying that you're saying it's a problem that there's not a lot of supply available on the marketplace. You keep saying it's an issue, but I don't like. It, to me, it's not an issue. Like what what is the problem that it's going to cause for Bitcoin for Bitcoin in particular? So, so, so the problem is, I'll say it for the third time. Apologize for losing my temper a little bit, but it's just really exasperating. I, I'm, you're, I'm sure you're a smart fellow, but I don't know if you weren't I'm not paying attention smart. when I said it, but you know, I'll give everyone the benefit of the doubt. Listen, if, if it, let's just say hypothetically that Tether uh, uh, counterfeited 30 billion Tether. Just stipulate that. We can agree it's false, true, but just thought experiment. Imagine that happened. And then imagine, you know, that you had it certainly matters this is where it is a problem it's a, it certainly is a pro, it, it, it certainly you have a much bigger impact on the price okay if you only if there's only 40 billion available supply of bitcoin to buy as opposed to a much more widely distributed less concentrated market where there's 600 billion to buy all right you can readily see why the price would go up and down so much why it would be so volatile i mean that should be obvious to anyone if you just give a little bit of thought and somehow it doesn't seem to register with you. Uh, I, I think you should stop insulting Dennis. I think, George, you're a smart guy. Dennis is a smart guy. There's multiple different dimensions to this. Well, no, well, One I, of them I, is... I'd like the, that to, I, no, but hold I on. Like hold that, let me, I would let like me, that dimension to be addressed, and it has not been addressed. Well, hold on a second. There are multiple dimensions here. One is the extent at which supply responds to demand, right? So with gold, with condos, with most other assets in human history, you can create more supply if there's higher demand. Bitcoin is fairly unique from the stance that people could want more Bitcoin. And you're right. The price could be very volatile because you can't create more of them. Whereas with gold, you could just mine more. With houses, no, you can just again, build more. Again, that, right? that is false. The supply... It's not false. Everything I said was completely true. Land is 100%. The supply here's, of condos here's, and gold... Me, Mike, Mike, Mike. I'm sorry. I'm not going to allow you to lie here, Okay. The price of gold, if you look at the increase in supply of gold on a good day, in a good year, maybe it'll go up 2%. In a bad year, it slows down 1%. It can't, it cannot respond. Look at the history. These are not opinions. These are facts, okay? It's not like when the price goes way up, all of a sudden the, the production increases by 10x or something like that. It could, there's only so much gold that can be mined. So you don't know what you're talking about. With respect, you're just talking crap at me now, okay? And now I'm getting, and now no, I'm that's no, that's actually not no. true, George. There's no limit to the amount of supply of gold that could be mined on that's, asteroids. No, and we know no, that. no, 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 no. That, that's again a logical fallacy, okay? You're being very slippery. It's not what I said. In any given year, two years, five years, ten years, okay, the the the, the speed with which gold production can increase is extremely limited. Go look it up. Go look at what happened when gold went up a lot. All right, it goes from maybe a one percent increase to a two percent increase. Okay. It's a fact. You can't just make up shit. That's a hundred percent increase George, in, listen, in, in gold being produced. But, but but listen, guys, like I don't want to give George a heart attack. Most important thing here is we're all humans. We're here to have yeah, a conversation. We're here to make an intelligent keeping, conversation keeping... and not waste each other's time by talking crap. I'm not gonna insult you by throwing shit at you and you guys are throwing shit at us. It's ridiculous. I well I, George, we're, we're not. We're actually just telling you what we think. I don't care. Honestly, what and calmly, and we're not. We're not trying. We're not trying to trigger you. We're not trying to trigger you. I don't care about your right. feelings. Yeah, no, I facts get it. Don't have feelings. I, I get it. I get it. I understand. The, in the world you came from, there are a distinct set of facts, 
um, that, that makes sense to you. And, and what uh, Dennis and I are saying is in a world where there's a few new paradigms like quantum computing and AI and robotics and, you know, uh, UBI and things that like you didn't grow up with. I get it. It's, it's, it's challenging, but like, let's all keep our uh, calm here because we're not insulting you, George. We actually have a deep respect for your experience no, no, as you, an you, asset you, manager. You, you right? We do. You. We got, do have I got news for you. You're insulting me. You guys need to read a fucking economics book. George, George stag- your ignorance is staggering. George, uh, I want to try and bring it back here. Uh, I want you to make kind of a final point here, and then I want to try and get to, get to some questions. And if you have to leave, uh, you know, 100, 100% understandable. But, you know, uh, just try not to use, you know, any 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 language or anything like that. I want hey, to try Jack, and keep could it we simple. also address uh, patronizing the other person? I, I, I think that's yeah. just as insulting as anything else. One, no, 100%. I think... I'm going to make one final statement. That's going to be yeah. it. Um, everyone, need, everyone in the audience, I apologize for using profanity getting loud, but I don't suffer fools gladly. I urge everyone to run, not walk, to buy two books straight away. The first one is Extraordinary Delusions and the Madness of Crowds, written by Charles McKay in the early 19th century. It covers three of the greatest bubbles in history. The South Sea Bubble, the Mississippi Land Rush, and Dutch Tulip tulip Bowl Mania. There's also a wonderful book by Charles Kindleberger, I read, I believe, uh, written in 1978 or thereabouts, Panics, Manias, and Crashes. Again, chronicling some of the biggest boom busts in history. I strongly believe that these books are going to have to be updated with a new chapter, which is going to which is going to blow away anything we've seen before. Um, you know, I have nothing against Bitcoin. I have nothing against technology, but you know, all the Bitcoin acolytes ever talk about is the price action and the technology. They never talk about the value, and we had proof of that again here today. There's no cash flow being generated. It's only been around for 12 years. It can't be a store of value by definition. It goes up 5x in one year, down 50%. Bitcoin is a solution in search of a problem. Um, I, I'm, I, I, I'm waiting to see what happens with Tether. And, 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 and I believe it's, it's rotten to the core. And I believe there's been a giant manipulation of all cryptocurrencies on the back of, the, back of this um, uh, 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 counterfeiting. And I think a lot of people are going to lose a lot of money. Um, I'm done. So, George, I, I would just I, add that, you know, in absence of acknowledging market structure, uh, we can't even have an intelligent conversation about the t- uh, tether situation. And how I know, I, I know, portfolio, and, and that's the problem. And you want to know something? Mike sounds like a really smart guy. He's familiar with it. But what's really interesting is, is as Bennett Tomlin describes, and the shill influencers, the Nick Carters of the world, the Dan Helds of the world, the Raul Pals of the world. They never, ever, ever, and Mike, maybe you've thought about it. They never, ever, ever talk about it. Is it because they don't recognize it? They don't want to talk about it? They're disingenuous? They're stupid or they're just lying? But any intelligent discussion of the price of Bitcoin, okay, has to include market structure. It would be like trying to discuss housing prices in 2007, 2008, when they're racing up, you know, because hot money's coming into the market. And yeah, you know, you own your house, you can do anything wrong, okay? And, and it gets and it gets and it gets jammed up because of subprime lending, and or hot money comes in from a foreign country, 
And as soon as the boom appears, it disappears and the price crashes. And people say, well, you know, it was a really nice house. It was in a good neighborhood. It had good schools. It was safe. I mean, it's like you can't discuss a house in that scenario without realizing all the pressures that are being brought to, brought to bear on the price of the house. And that is why I, I, I just my, my head wants to explode listening to people, how they, they want to talk about everything except market structure. It's insanity. George, my very first comment uh, was about Tether. The very first thing I said was a recognition that Tether exists. Tether is a problem. Uh, Tether is definitely a source of concern for serious Bitcoiners. Um, but at the same time, you told us not to worry about price. And, and I actually, my comments weren't about price. They were about supply and demand, right? And understanding the fundamental value of the best store of value in human history. What is the fundamental value of that? Well, there's a lot of ways you can measure it. They're not going to be familiar to a traditional equity analyst, right? It's not a PE so, ratio. It can't be condensed into something that Mike, clear. I think his point regarding price was don't utilize that as a metric to justify value because when the structure is completely manipulated, it doesn't give it any credence to what the value is based on price. Which is why I said that as a unit of account, Bitcoin is not there yet. And, and therefore, it is very hard to use the yen or the dollar, or the Russian ruble, or the Venezuelan bolivar, right, or the uh, Swiss franc, as a good proxy for that. And and that was my very first part of my comment. It, what's funny is it feels like George is responding to somebody who isn't here, right? Like I actually am a value investor. Like I spend most of my time doing what George well, my, does, my, 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 and then my, he, my, but he's responding to a guy, or responding to a guy who's no, not no, even no, here. No, right? my, like I, I don't know who he's responding to. It's no, not what my, I said. No, no. You know what? In point of fact. When the question was posed about the value, the first I wrote it down because it, it, my hair went on fire. The first thing you started talking about was price. You're the one who answered the value question by talking about price. That is a fact. Go listen to the tape. No, I, I actually, because it's a monetary system, I started with the dimensions of money. I said it's not a unit of account today. That, that was my very first comment. I wrote it down as well. No, I'm talking. Um, I wrote I'm it talking down about Microsoft sec- Word. And, and maybe, sec- blame it. Blame it on Bill Gates. Blame it on Bill Gates because I wrote I, down I, Microsoft Word. I'm talking Word. about the so. second question that was asked to discuss the value, or second or third, the value of Bitcoin, and you responded by talking about price. I'm not saying it's the first thing you had written down on your sheet of paper. I'm talking about when the question was asked about how you decide the value of Bitcoin. You started talking about the price. That is a fact. So at this point, it's like, you know, what, regardless of whether Mike talked about the price right away or talked about it later. Ultimately, the conversation got to the point where we did discuss the value of Bitcoin. And we had a long discussion about the value of Bitcoin aside from the price of Bitcoin. So trying to nail him to the cross over when he mentioned price during the value conversation seems like an odd hill to die on. We discussed the value of Bitcoin. That is very disingenuous. We discussed the value of Bitcoin. No, that's very disingenuous because he's the one who went after me First, going on over. Someone who want to talk about price. That's like the, the pot calling the kettle black. Excuse me. And then furthermore, we went on to talk about value. You guys didn't come up with anything. You know what it's like? It's like it's like buying, free buying to store stock. large amounts, resistant well, they, to thievery they and seizure, the very defendable, fungible, easy to authenticate, that. easy and free to transport, speed of transaction, you, 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 finality you, 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 of instant you, transactions, you, you, final you, settlement you, upon transaction, scarcity is absolute. Absolute. So the, you're talking about money here. What is the value of money? What gives money value? Those are the things that give money value. You, Those aspects are what give Bitcoin value. Is it, How divisible is it? Is it fungible? 
uh, how how scarce is it? Is it durable? You're, you're trying to compare it to stocks, man, and it's, it's a totally Actually, different game. Dennis, that's that's a false statement. It's not a false what statement. Gives, what gives any currency value? Currency is, is different from money. Just want to make sure we define the trade. Yeah, a currency is very different from Based from money. On the they're, productivity they're totally of society and its constituents for the respective nation. Yeah, you're talking about a currency, but I'm talking about money. Currency is a type of money. Currency is a type of money that's used in a regional area, typically. Um, and then fiat currency is a type of currency that is forced on its people by its government, like the U.S. dollar. Uh, that is not money. That is a type of money. So we'll, so we'll talk about gold. You cannot tell me a single use for Bitcoin other than it being Bitcoin. Uh, I, can tell you I want it to be 100% money premium. Monetary premium is all I need. I don't need it to do anything else. So I, I'm, I'm really lost. I mean, Mike spoke about the inherent value that it holds due to the cost of mining it. I could show you several other assets and a great one that's as of recent would be fracked oil or fracked gas, where the cost of it oftentimes far exceeds what it. Well, now we're jumping to price. Well, that, that's what you want to talk about. So let's no, talk. We, we, you want to talk about value. And we're talking about value. The value of money is derived from the we're, properties we're, that are inherent in that, that are inherent in the, in the money itself. Let's talk about gold. Gold has a problem with centralization because it's heavy, expensive to store. And so people ended up putting it in a safe or with a custodian. And that's what made gold ultimately fail. Paper products from gold. You don't need to Wait, do that gold, with Bitcoin because it's free so to store this is a matter of fact and transport. Gold, has failed? Gold, had, gold failed as money. Yes, because governments were able to co-opt it. It's not. It's. Can, I, can, can I just can I just say to George, George, sincerely, uh, this is not blowing smoke. Like I meant no disrespect. Um, I definitely am not patronizing you. I don't know where portfolio is coming up with that. We actually had good rapport for this conversation, so I'm surprised that he's accusing me of that. But the bottom line, George, is that I respect your experience and your opinion. And all we're disagreeing on is some of the details. Uh, it sounds like we both agree that Goldman Sachs is not. Uh, a good actor uh, a lot of the time right that, that the banking system is not the solution to all of our problems we agree that there should be a better system right than than the traditional fiat system so i, I would like to to leave it there and just say hey georgia i'm sorry that if you took that the wrong way but i do not want to trigger you uh you know more than anything i just want you to know that i appreciate the conversation today so I, i'm like george said earlier i'm done unless there's other interesting questions but i think we should get off this sort of ad hominem uh, attack factor that we're all on right now. Yeah, wanna, I want to. Yeah, I want to get to some questions now. Um, and if the speakers, obviously, we've gone about probably like thirty minutes or so off off the allotted time or so. If you guys have to leave, no worries at all. Uh, but I want to probably get to like two or three questions. So I brought up log scale already, um, and I'll try and bring up some others as well. Log scale, go ahead. I, I, I wanted to talk to George about tether, but if I can just say one sentence about this whole price versus value thing. Um, Dennis said it, that Bitcoin's either worth tens of, um, well, millions, let's put it that way, or zero. And everyone seemed to agree. Okay, this is more than one sentence. So if Bitcoin is 30 grand, either it's massively undervalued or massively overvalued. And so I don't understand what the argument is uh, because that's, that's the simple of it. So Anyway, about Tether, um, and I sense, George, you know, the, um, you know, you're frustrated that 
Bitcoiners aren't doing more to address the topic and um, that, um, you know, Tether has perhaps counterfeited all this money, which is responsible for Bitcoin's run up. And um, I just wanted to say that as somebody who probably runs more hours of Twitter spaces for Bitcoiners than anybody else, we talk about Tether regularly and the consensus is that it's shady. Uh, the debate is how shady and how big of an impact would it have on Bitcoin if and when it implodes. And so um, I think that the average Bitcoiner is, um, you know, is very interested in it. And um, I follow you and all the main Tether critics. So I think it's important to hear the other side. And Real Willy Bot can confirm that because I probably had 50 exchanges with him, you know, over Tether. Um so my question for you about Tether is, we see that Tether and Bitcoin rise together. That's a correlation. Um, as the crypto market grows, there's more demand for Tether or other stable coins because that's what most people use if they're trading. Um, so why, why are you sure which is the cause and which is the effect? One can never be Hey, George, you're on mute. Yeah, you're on, you're on mute, George. This thing is acting um, My screen is acting up for some reason. Oh, there we go. So um, people say, can you be sure it's a fraud? No, I can't be sure it's a fraud. Could you be sure that Bernie Madoff was a fraud? No, but there were before it happened. No, not until before it happened, but there were people suspected it. Could you have been certain that Enron was a fraud before it happened? No, you couldn't. Could you see a huge trail of breadcrumbs, though, which kind of made you 99% sure that it's a fraud? Sure, you could. No, I, 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 let, me, let me clarify. I will grant you that, let's, I'll just grant you that Tether is completely unbacked, okay? My question is, is it Tether that was counterfeited, that was responsible for the run-up in Bitcoin and, and other cryptos? Or was it the run-up in Bitcoin and other cryptos that created the demand for this uh, stablecoin because that's how people trade those things? So there's an equally logical explanation. So why are you so sure the cause is Tether? Well, for, for, for instance, for instance, okay, uh, don't hold me as literally. I think it's 100% true. It might be 99% true. Look at a graph of Tether in circulation. I'm going on thin ice here. Number only go up. I mean, even you, even USDC, and they came out with a pretty re, much better annotation today. So I think, you know, there's been some questions around USDC, but I, but I, you know, and my my, my um, uh, former colleagues at Fidelity are close to Circle, and so I talk to them about it all the time. But I was encouraged by what I saw from Circle today. But even Circle, you know, their their coins in circulation went down for a little while, like a month or two ago. Okay, not Tether. Number only go up. Number only ever go up. That's that's you're still addressing the question of whether it's backed. I'm granting you that it's unbacked. Since there's but, a perfectly but, plausible explanation that the need no. for Tether and other stable coins would increase along with the crypto market and that the crypto market is the cause and Tether is the effect. 
why are you so sure that Tether is the cause and the crypto market is the effect? Can we bring up uh, Adam Singer, by the way, too? I'd love to bring him up as a, a speaker of uh, Chad or uh, Wolf, you guys get a chance. Yeah, get up here, uh, get up here also, Adam. Could Come we on. also add uh, Jester up here? Sure. Uh, well, uh, George, we can't hear you if you're, uh, if you're trying to talk. Yeah, I can't hear him. There we go. I've been struggling this this whole time. Uh, it looks like he, he so dropped out. Looks like so he's maybe he'll come back. The service must be messed up. You guys hear yeah. me? Yeah, so I guess we'll move to a question from Jester then. And Chad, can we also bring up uh, Wolf just in the interest of keeping a balanced panel of uh, people asking questions as well? Wolf is fantastic. Uh, Please bring him up. Uh, short. Yeah, I'm guys, I got to start this off by saying that I think the apes are completely fucked. Because I got to watch the entire sequel of Dumb and Dumber for absolutely free. God, Dennis, you got your education from YouTube and it shows. I've Jester, never had that, movie, that movie will never not be good. That movie will never not be good. I know. I mean, All I just right, saw Jester, it. it was Jester, just try and, try and keep it to a question, please. Try not to make okay. personal attacks. You seem like you're going to be a yes, lot sir. of fun, Jester. This is gonna, I'm really going to enjoy this. Let's fucking go, Absolutely. Uh, sir, the only question I trust to ask you is what flavor of bleach should I drink? That's it, Chad. I'm sorry. I'm done. Sorry, I'm, I'm not knowledgeable really? enough, enough about bleach to actually know there's multiple flavors. You'd have to educate me on that. I want to. I want to hear from Adam because I, I actually haven't got a chance yeah. to talk to. I've been really enjoying bantering with Adam over the last Go ahead, Adam. six months or whatever. So, Adam, love love to hear your thoughts, current thoughts on stocks, crypto, whatever. I mean, it's a broad question. Um, I I I own Bitcoin not because of well, actually, from a conversation with Jack, who's phenomenal, um, we had a great chat off the record, and he sort of sold me on the whole shtick. And um, I, I don't think owning a little bit is a bad move, as um, the upside is asymmetric. And so, with that said, you know, I've owned Moderna, I've owned tesla i've owned things that have done extremely well even though i was skeptical initially and so with that with that in mind i i think as an investor you want an allocation to things that could be potential game changers will bitcoin we don't know will any of these things we don't know but you you want to get off zero right you 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 don't want to be in a position where you know, a Tesla or a Google works out and you don't have some exposure. And, and that's where I've sort of netted out with these things. Mike is super passionate. He's, you know, he talks a lot about the technology, the code. I'm actually less interested in that. I'm more interested in what are the societal and the macro econ explanations and the implications for, you know, a new technology. And for a lot of these things, I, I, I read Mike's tweets and it, you get to a point where it becomes not even so much fundamentals, but how, how could this change everything, right? And you don't want to be someone who doesn't own a little bit of that. So I'm going to pause to Mike because he's so passionate. And I think because there are, for the big things, the big themes, 
they don't come down. Mike talked a little bit about, oh, it doesn't fit into P-E ratios. And he's, he's precisely correct. And so you could be a skeptic, but that doesn't mean you have to be at zero. That, that means you keep an open mind. And I think that opens you up to a lot. Mike, can, can you talk a little bit about like what that means from a investor perspective? From a, I, I think we've gotten so far away from like what even a macro trend means and, and, and what, how that affects everything from a societal perspective if everything pivots around a new technology. Well, think about the internet, Adam, right? Like, think about the fact that I remember in 98, 99, I was at Stanford as an undergrad and I'd come home from, uh, you know, uh, for a vacation and the older people in my life, they didn't understand how the internet would change anything. They didn't understand how the internet would completely change the way commerce is done. They didn't understand Amazon. They certainly didn't understand Google. I remember introducing people to Google in like 2000, 2001 timeframe. They're like, what the fuck is this? Why do I need it? Um, and I sort of view crypto and the S-curve of the adoption of digital assets in a very similar way where it's not going to be totally clear, just like it wasn't clear in 1995 that you know you would use the internet to buy a car or book a plane flight or check your bank account right, or buy a house or basically anything in your life. Like, can you imagine getting through yeah, COVID? We, we, we don't know. You're, you're precisely internet? right. We don't know. And so from a macro standpoint, like from an investable standpoint, even if you don't know for sure, something like a one to 3% allocation to Bitcoin kind of makes sense because even if you're wrong or right, um, it, it has very good, uh, you know, outcome if you're right. Right. And let's say Bitcoin goes up another 50 or hundred X, right. It totally changes the outcome in terms of your purchasing power 20, 30 years from now. And if you're wrong, it's negligible. And Rick Edelman, who's probably the most successful traditional registered investment advisor in history, right? He sold his company um, recently. He, he actually cashed out completely for like seven, 800 million. He was like the most prolific uh, financial advisor, radio host in, in history. Um, you know, the, c- the combined company financial engines, uh, Edelman's worth like $8 billion now. He was the one who first told me like, Mike, it's so asymmetric that you have to put one, two, three percent in your portfolio. Because if you don't, you're kind of an idiot, right? Like just it's statistics, right? It's just it's just math. Like you don't actually need to do this whole debate that we just did. If you get to the point where you say, hey, this might be something, then one percent is probably the right allocation. And I think Rick was spot on. All right. I want to go over to uh, Wolf for a question. Hey, chap, if, if I may just for a moment. And Mike, I'm sorry. Anything? I think um, what you're saying and what you advocate for is light years away from what your partner advocates for. And not just in this space, but in every space. And you and I have had conversations about this very thing. Well, damn, so you, get, Dennis and I are damn you, guys, you guys talk Dennis about me when I'm not around. I'm blushing. That's so cute. Yeah, D- D- Dennis and I are not partners. You guys I'm married. Are obsessed with me already. Uh, I've, I've, uh, <laughs> you're, you're Jeez, I don't even have ten thousand followers this. yet, man. Your partner. For don't simp that hard. Discussion. All right, I want to go over to. Basically, uh, what I'm what I'm saying is, Mike, we can. I'm a violent. A I'm a violent, toxic maximalist. Where radical, orange pilled. They do not have that the believes the world is changing. I don't. I, it's. It's. I don't know what to tell you. You're going to run into some fire. That's for sure. Okay, listen, you guys, YouTube portfolio, you guys need to like take this offline into a Google 
hangouts room where you can look each other in the eye because i bet if you could see each other you'd stop <laughs> fucking around like a lot of this is just like it's totally personal right like it's clear to me that we're not even talking about ideology we're not talking about the facts anymore portfolio i will host at my house in las vegas i will host a pool party you guys can swim you can drink martinis you can drink jack and gingers we can open an expensive bottle of champagne Bro, maybe some 50 year old scotch whatever but go. like you got you got you guys I'll need to grow up and, st- and stop the bullshit and, and let's have a real conversation. Yeah. We've got some good people here like Adam, et cetera. Uh, Wolf, do you want to ask a question? And then I'll go over to pop culture. I think he means you, Wolfie. Yeah. Oh, I, I didn't I didn't really have a question. Adam just said okay. to bring me up. But um I will I will say that uh I was listening to the market structure um commentary back and forth and uh I think that's like the fundamental flaw because if enough people were able to hoard an asset early on, as the asset grows in in price, that doesn't mean that the value of the asset grows. It just means that the price grows, right? And as the price grows, you're really going to essentially price out people who feel like they've missed the boat. So there's a real, you know, push-pull fundamental issue, um, when people talk about equality and opportunity, uh, because I know, you know, several people who you could say are below the poverty line or whatever, um, whatever way you want to quantify as poor, who, <clears throat> excuse me, already feel like they've missed it. And so they aren't sophisticated enough to, um understand that there is a there is a fundamental difference between like a shit coin and bitcoin right so to them it's all the same but this one's cheaper because the price is cheaper so i think that the the structure situation is real and i think that as the price like you know of course it's asymmetric and it could go to infinity or it could go to zero right uh, everyone kind of agrees to that. But as it goes higher, you're ultimately going to find yourself running counter um, to that leveling of the playing field, in my opinion. And I just didn't hear any real addressing of that. I don't I don't think a question was asked about it. Um, I don't really have a question, just like a commentary. But if if anybody wants to take that as a question and and speak on it, I'm more than happy to listen. Look, uh, Wolf, I've seen your tax return and uh, I know that, you know, you made $4 million or $6 million or whatever, right? And, and that's America, right? That's capitalism. That's free market capitalism. We're not talking about changing the superstructure of a capitalist system that allows you to make $6 million or whatever in a year and black it out and put it on Twitter. I love that. I think it's incredible. Bitcoiners are not opposed to that. What we want is a baseline right? It's a starting point so that if I make $6 million, it's the same $6 million that you make, then you have no advantages in making that $6 million over the same situation that I would have to make the $6 million. Can we talk about what a hero point. wolf is, by the way? Wait, can, we, can we just talk about that? <laughs> can we not? I'm no one's hero. No, uh, I want to ask, I want to follow up on that. Um, I'm just saying that, you know, it, you, I, I understand what you're saying. Six, my $6 million and your $6 million is, is an equal opportunity. But I don't, I don't see it that way. I don't see that your ability to – so as, as the price grows, your ability to multiply 
you know, your wealth diminishes. I mean, it's law of large numbers, whatever you want to assign to it. If if something is $60,000, in order for me to get the same return that someone had when they bought it for $600, you know, it's going to be an astounding market price and it's going to be an astounding um, market cap or, or accumulation of wealth to get it there. And so I think I think that that little disconnects kind of what I'm harping on is that I, I don't necessarily disagree that it is asymmetric and I don't necessarily disagree that, um, you know, it could be something that changes people's lives monumentally. But I think that as long as there are people that hoard that coin so, that have been in from an early price, um, the more the more that concentration only swells because as the price grows, I don't think that you're, you might get more participation in the sense of like people using it as a, a medium of exchange, but I don't think, you know, and obviously it's opinionated here, but I don't think that the, you know, people are going to be rushing out to put as more and more money of their own into something that let's say is, you know, $400,000 a coin hypothetically. So, so, so Wolf, those are just absolute numbers. And I think we can all agree they're arbitrary, but, would you agree with the statement that the best performing investments in the last 20 years were venture investments in the top performing technology companies? Oh, absolutely. Um, right. So, so I think, I think anybody who studies markets would sort of notice that. So like what I think is happening and why it's so confusing to people is essentially you're not investing in a company within a technology uh, vertical, right? What you're investing in is a brand new technology vertical. But if you look back like in the 1920s or 1930s, you look at like electricity or you know, go, go back to the telephone or the, the airline, airplanes or whatever, right? Like there was no token. There was no token for the protocol of an airplane. There was no token for the protocol of electricity and, or the telephone. And the telephone is a network asset too, right? If there are only two people in the world have a telephone, the value of a telephone is, is pretty small. If everybody in the world has a telephone, the value of a telephone is very high, right? It's very similar to Bitcoin. And so the paradigm shift that's happening is that you're now investing for the first time in the fundamental technology itself. So you're literally just drawing a line from 0% adoption to 100% adoption. And somewhere along there, the price goes up a lot, but you never were able to directly monetize that, right? You weren't, you weren't able to monetize the telephone token. There was no telephone digital token in 1930 or 1950 or 1970 you could buy as a, as a proxy for the adoption. And so that's where I think a lot of the confusion on this space actually came from is just comparing an S curve, right, for something that, you know, nobody's ever seen before, right? You've never been able to monetize a technology S curve in the same way you've been able to monetize Bitcoin. And so for that reason, you know, these comparisons mostly fall flat. Um, but much respect for your, you know, your trading, much respect for your success. I, I just wanted to, you know, make that statement. Um, I, I did want it. to... Um, I did want I, to throw one. Sorry, I'm lagging over here. I was, I was, I just wanted to throw in a comment really fast about the value of Bitcoin and that uh, the value of Bitcoin is increasing over time as well. If you're talking about, you know, not price, none of that, you know, but things are being built on top of Bitcoin and they're increasing its actual uh, functionality and the features that it holds. So in the last several years, we've had Lightning built on top of Bitcoin, which has allowed. Uh, the users to have nearly instant, nearly free transactions, um, which is a big problem 
according to some people for a long time. Uh, and the, I, I mean, obviously a long time is, you know, Bitcoin has a short history, but for the first five or six years of its history, people would claim that it was as a big issue. And it was actually what we fought, you know, a block size war over trying to determine how we were going to, uh, uh, change Bitcoin or adapt Bitcoin or grow Bitcoin in order for it to handle all these transactions. There are other things that are coming as well. So the advent of taproot, um, Schnorr signatures that are coming in, because as Mike has said multiple times, you know, this is programmable money. This is money that you can you can adapt and change and and grow. So with the advent of Taproot and the advent of Schnorr, it's going to make Bitcoin a little bit more private. It's going to make it a little more efficient. But also there could be something done that uh, on the DeFi side of things and efficiency that are gains there. It's going to allow DeFi to operate better on Bitcoin um, with with the advent of DLCs. So there's all sorts of stuff coming. Like, as you can tell, this is like more of an economics uh, panel up here. And that's definitely, I would say the areas that I like to talk about things. Although I'm not a financial legacy market kind of guy, the economics and the impact of Bitcoin on society, things I like to talk about, but there are lots of technical aspects to Bitcoin that are being built on top that are dramatically increasing its value over time. Yeah, so I'm not well, disputing well, any yeah. of that. I'm sorry. I just want to say one thing. I, I'm not. I'm not disputing any of that. I'm just making the commentary that, you know, you have what is it, 250 people in here, um, most of which are probably nuanced in some form or other um, as it relates to economics, finance, whatever. Right. So we all have some sort of interest in this stuff, and you're going to get um, ranges of opinion that are pretty steep among these 250 people. Um, my struggle is as you have over 15,000 coins, right? Um, even, even in this panel of 250 people that are sitting here listening to it, you're going to find people that are going to tell you, you know, some other coin is a more versatile, more, you know, utopian, um, way out. Right. Mm -hmm. So as, as the price, again, I'm not talking about the value. I'm not debating that, but my, my, concern if i throw the word concern loosely here is as the price accelerates people will look for other utilities that in their mind um fulfills you know predominantly the same medium of exchange and you're already seeing that with you know doge with um mm -hmm. cum rocket and all these other you know excessive i'm, I'm using these specifically because they're so sure. far out on the risk curve and they're not the same they're they're nothing like it but you're seeing that and that's and that's kind of like the the point that i'm kind of making because i i'm i i hear what you're saying and we can have a disagreement or agree on things but um i'm just talking about like the unbanked and different places uh that that a, a utility like this would benefit you know extremely benefit those types of people which is kind of like a fundamental point that a lot of people who, you know, promote proponents of Bitcoin um, mm -hmm. go back to in some form or fashion. I'm, I'm going so, to mute now and just listen to you guys. So, yeah, you do see that happening right now. You do see, you know, all these other coins being made. Uh, people trying to claim that they have similar or better use cases. Um, you know, it's really the argument that I like to try to make when we're talking about this, though, is, you know, what's what's really being created and what are people really competing over when you're you know, directly competing with Bitcoin? All of these tokens are are trying to compete to be some form of money. And ultimately, Bitcoin 
is the best form of money that's ever been created. And none of these tokens even stand a chance against Bitcoin as money. So inevitably, all of the use cases that are created on top of them, like, you know, you could say Ethereum, you could say Doge, whatever, any of these things that they're trying to implement. Uh, obviously, Doge doesn't have a development team really much of all. So they're probably not really doing anything. But uh, all the use cases that are being built outside of Bitcoin ultimately will gravitate towards the hardest, most secure base layer. Uh, you can see it happening with the way that Strike as an app is being built on top of Bitcoin. Uh, Strike as an app is creating multiple industries at a time with a single app. Uh, the remittance industry, the Bitcoin exchange industry. And then also you have uh, Atomic Finance, who's doing things with DLCs and allowing you to, to lock up your Bitcoin right, in a smart I contract and earn 4% yield. So pieces of these coins is is non-existent and ultimately over time they're going to be they're going to be bullied out of the market by bitcoin's better monetary policy and anything they have of use is going to be built on top of that most secure all right um, I, superior monetary policy all right i want to get to more questions here i want to get back to a little bit more serious so pop culture i'll go over to you and then we'll go to hector sure i'll express sort of a point of view in the form of a question i don't think the future of bitcoin uh, is ordained, but in order for Bitcoin to be successful, I think it's going to need to address its weaknesses, which are twofold. One is the concentration, and two is you know the link to you know espionage, ransom, the tether link, just links to sort of the shadier parts of society. And if it can do that, or whatever digital currency can do that will probably ultimately be successful. But it seems that we're sort of like the internet in 1999, where there's going to need to be a shakeout, uh, which will deconcentrate Bitcoin. And that will cause the price to drop meaningfully before it begins to really become a steadier growing you know, instrument, both in terms of price, in terms of ownership, and in terms of usage. So it almost seems like it's necessary to go through a 2000 to 2002 scenario with Bitcoin before it ultimately solves its challenges. The ones that I highlighted, maybe one or two more that I didn't highlight, because it's not going to become successful because it's a potential to, or has better characteristics than gold, it's going to be successful because it addresses all of the weaknesses that have been highlighted and that are for the most part understood. And so I guess what I'm suggesting is the likely scenario for me is that Bitcoin sees a dramatic reduction in price that leads to a deconcentration and then it can become a more stable asset or some other digital currency can become the preferred asset over time in a less volatile, less problematic setup. So I'd like to hear the speakers sort of respond to that scenario, which seems more plausible. And Pop, I can see on all points. And I've sold and all, all my Bitcoin. And, and I think um, Pop Culture, I think George was making the same point, right? I think a lot of what we're talking about doesn't have to do with will Bitcoin continue to exist or cease all existence. That's not the point. A lot of it is centered around what is the value and is it fairly valued today and what will be the value in the future and how, how can we arrive at that?
Yeah. So I guess the question for the you know, pro Bitcoin speakers is, you know, can the concentration issue, does it need to be resolved and can it be resolved without a, you know, a shakeout in, you know, the price of Bitcoin, which we may be beginning to, you know, see or have already started to see the beginning of. Well, I just if, don't, if, I don't see the concentration of Bitcoin as a problem. I don't accept those terms. Look, I, I also think that if equities had gone down 50 or 60% this year from top to bottom, people on here would be crying right now. It's amazing that Bitcoiners are expected to like feel nothing when the price goes up a lot and then falls a lot. But equity holders, the price goes down 3% and people are literally losing their shit on Twitter um, over a 3% decline. And so the shakeout is already here, right? The shakeout is every time Bitcoin goes up a lot and goes down a lot. But none of that really matters, right? Like nobody's trying to solve, like how many people on here are trying, like raise your hand if you're trying to solve income equality in the fiat system. Like how many people are actively working every day trying to keep Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk from getting all the money, right? Like nobody's doing that. We're all rooting for them. We're like, hey, go for it. You know, like make Amazon, like keep delivering my packages on time, right? The nature of capitalism causes inequality, right? Like that's just, there's, there has to be fundamental inequalities because there's fundamental inequality in the ability the average people to create products that, that consumers want. So I, I don't, I don't, I like disagree with the premise that somehow inequality in and of itself is a problem. The question is, does everybody have an equal opportunity at the bottom of the pyramid to get to the top of the pyramid? And that's where Bitcoin might help a little bit. Right. But this idea that like Bitcoin needs to go to down further to be more equitable. I think it's total yes. BS. Mike, I'm going to, I'm going to chime in. And I just, I just, you, shared, I just shared, I just shared a tweet, tweet uh, and then I'll, uh, step, then I'll back step back on the Tesla's, you know, bricking experience in 2012 and it, it moved beyond it, but there, you know, there were some real growing pains, you know, with Tesla. And this is, you know, from someone who has been very pro hybrid, pro electric vehicle since the early days. And um, that scared the shit out of me it got resolved but um i just sort of wanted to draw it as a tweet that i shared for the analogy purposes and i'll step back now and then uh hector you guys hear me yep yes sir yeah so i just wanted to see if you guys could clear up the value of the value proposition of btc like i heard is it the medium of exchange that doesn't exist due to the high fees? Or is it like the nascent technology of lightning that built on top of Bitcoin, um, it's more so security risk for users? Or is it then the store of value, which you guys have been saying, that if it doesn't go up, it essentially fails because the other two points don't actually work for Bit for Bitcoin. So can you clear, clear that up for me? Um, I'm very long BSV. I recommend everybody sell their Bitcoin immediately, buy BSV. BSV solves all the problems uh, that, that Bitcoin has. Uh, drop the mic, I'm out. See you guys later. That doesn't solve my question that I posed, but sure. Dennis, do you have any response? I think that was kind of for you and Mike. Um, could you repeat the question, please? People are DMing me. I apologize. So basically, Go ahead. I want you to clear up the value proposition of BTC. Is it the medium of exchange, even though fees are high and you can't really use it as that way? Is it the idea of using LN or Lightning, even though it's brand new and 
um, not really, I guess, battle tested and puts a lot of risk on the end users, which becomes an issue, or is it the actual idea of the store of value, which is later re remodeled as the emerging store of value, which is similar to any speculative asset that if it doesn't go up, it doesn't actually work. Um, so I don't know what the actual point or what the, the, the reason to buy BTC is or what you're proposing should, it should be. Bitcoin is an emergent store of value and is on its way to becoming a medium exchange, but can already be used pretty efficiently and effectively as a medium exchange with Lightning Network today with nearly free and nearly instant transactions. Um, the use case of that over like, for instance, when I look at your bio and I see you have Bitcoin SV, is that it will actually survive and be used by the market over a long term and won't become centralized. The problem with when you increase the base layer blocks, which is a war that we fought over four years ago, and the big blockers were absolutely destroyed, even though they had 80% support from the businesses, the miners, and all of the elites posing up against the users. But ultimately, the users won and proved that we don't want big blocks. The problem with big blocks is that it centralizes Bitcoins as a network. When you increase the block size, you actually make it difficult to run a node. It's already $200 for the equipment and it requires a strong internet connection to run a node. If you, if you were to, let's say, double or triple that, now you're going to need a $400 piece of equipment. But that's not going to stop there because ultimately blocks, blocks will get to 32 gigs, they'll get to 64 gigs. They'll have to keep increasing as you use it as a scaling model. Ultimately, what will happen is you'll end up with very, very few people will, that will be able to run a node because you'll need petabytes of storage and you'll need a massively powerful hardline connection into the Internet because you'd have to verify the transactions that are coming back through at such a click that you would it would be nearly impossible for any retail Internet connection to be able to do that. That would mean that there would be maybe two or three or four nodes on planet Earth which would make it super, super fucking easy for the government to go, hey, we're putting a gun to your head. And guess what? That's our node now. Or you're going to turn that node off. So that's why BSV will never work, can never work, and why Bitcoin will work and is continuing to work. And that's why Bitcoin, Bitcoin SV, BCH are all being completely demonetized and destroyed if you look at the charts by, by Bitcoin which is the true Bitcoin, which is BTC, BCH, and BSV are absolute scams. And I feel sorry for people that do get scammed by this because they're probably nice people and I wish that they wouldn't get scammed. But some people have to put their hand on the hot pot and get burned. And some people like to leave their hand there a little longer than other people. But eventually Hector will learn the lesson that he should take his hand and his money out of BSV and put it into Bitcoin. All right. Uh I think probably one of the last questions, we'll try and close this up soon. I know it's almost two hours and 45 minutes now. Uh, okay, I'll go over to uh, Mount Gox. If you're there. Oh, okay, I will bring... Mount Gox is defunct, Chad, so there's no way that they could ask a question at this point. They're in receivership, so... <laughs> All right, I brought oh, hey, a Chad. Tuttle. Tuttle. Uh oh. Uh oh. Uh, any any doing? question, uh, Tuttle? Thanks for. Right, right. Yeah, can you hear me? Hey, um, so yep. yeah, so so my question is, uh, you know, for the panel here on sides, um, you know, is it, is it an either or debate? Like, is it is it either Bitcoin or you know U.S. dollars or, um, you know, do you see 
kind of in the future, like a U.S. central bank digital coming out uh, and and being able to have you know some of those aspects um, for site financial stability, you know concerns related to to you know hacks or or you know potential run of risk there and like the impact on uh, you know, a sovereign bank's deposit bank, uh, deposit base, um, you know, it, do you think that if uh, a central bank digital came out that that would have any impact on Bitcoin or the U.S. dollar going forward? Absolutely. There, there will be a U.S. digital currency. Um, it will be more a competitor with U.S. banks uh, for money creation, right? Like if, if uh, the central bank has its own digital currency, they'll be able to surveil all the citizens. They'll be able to know where all the money's going. There won't be briefcases of $100 bills floating around, and they'll be able to create the money supply in a much more um, you know, seamless way. So I, I think actually U.S. retail banks, like traditional banks, are more at risk. Um, Bitcoin is a real competitor to a potential global reserve currency like the Chinese yuan, hence why China is so afraid uh, of Bitcoin. Right. And they're less afraid now, I think, of the dollar because they realize the dollar is a declining uh, global reserve currency and Bitcoin is a potential replacement. Um, so so I don't I don't fear the U.S. digital currency. Right. I don't think most free citizens are going to want to use something where they know the primary reason why the government's offering it to them is so that they can control them even more than they control them today. I, I actually think Bitcoin is a nice alternative to that. So. Uh, bring it on, right? Like, if anything, we should be afraid of the Chinese yuan becoming the global reserve currency because China really wouldn't be a fun place to live in a world where they control the entire planet. Uh, some people have also, you know, brought up some great points I've heard recently that, um, you know, if you're getting people into the habit of using wallets and using digital currencies, it's just one step away from from using Bitcoin, which is a far superior money to hold. So ultimately, it's good for, you know, you could say adoption as you're heading in that direction. But I agree with the points that Mike made. I think, unless they, force, unless it they force it on us, you know, that could it could be an issue. But uh, I think that will also create a, uh, you know, show people why Bitcoin is so important. I, I think a lot of people can see why the hard supply cap is so important, uh, the inflation that's going on. But now they're going to be like, oh, I, I can't spend my money where and when and how I want to. The government tells me what to do my entire life or I can choose freedom money. Hmm. I wonder what people are going to choose. All right. So we're at almost two hours and 50 minutes so far. Absolutely love this space so far. Um, the speakers up here, do you guys want to continue to answer questions? I have about like 20 people requesting. Do you want to call it a night? Um, you let's know, go fire, let's do, fire let's, speed. Yeah, let's do two, two more, but let's just ask want, everybody to, to keep them short. Yeah, I want also... Can we? Can you put if you're requesting? Can you put a 100 if you're requesting to speak or ask a question of the no coiners? I think there's been a lot of questions for the Bitcoin guys, but not for George Noble or, or Portfolio Hawk. So can you put a 100 up? All right. Hopefully they're not trolling. Let's see. I brought Hassan up. Uh, Hassan, you're on. Uh, yeah. Uh, hi guys. Uh, so for the no coiner, my, my question would be, uh, so obviously I'm a Bitcoin bull. Um, for the no coiner, I just want to know how, how much time do you guys actually spend studying Bitcoin? Like um, knowing that you have such arguments against Bitcoin, I'd like to know like how much time did you guys spend on studying Bitcoin and 
And um, if you could just give me a little bit, like, not just in terms of, like, hours per week or day, but also in years terms. Thank you. George, you want to take this first or should I? Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm going to counter that question by asking a question of my own. And that question is, how much time have you spent studying economics and global trade? Uh, that that, that uh, I I understand the question, but I, I'm the one asking the question, so I, I don't know why you're asking the question. Can you can you answer the question or? I'll answer that question once my question is answered. So so is there anybody else going to answer my question then? The no coiner one. Uh, George, do you want to do you want to answer that? No, oh, I think I think I, I I'll. I think Portfolio Hawk is uh, has the appropriate response because I the, the the question is very condescending, so that's why I, I think Portfolio yeah. Hawk's response is appropriate. Actually, it's not that yeah, George, to be honest. It, it's a pretty uh, straightforward question. Like, it's straightforward. That's not the point, but it's condescending. It's straightforward, but it's yeah, it's 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 unfortunately it's a targeted question, and I agree with our speakers that it's a targeted question with no correct answer here. So. Yeah, correct. Um, so, 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 or we can we can move there's no there's no constructive purpose in that question. So I, I, I just don't even think it should be addressed. I, I honestly think it's a valid question. How much time did you spend studying something? All right. I, Chad, I, Chad, you have to do a better right. job moderating. I'm sorry. This is ridiculous. We, we do right. I love the question. Hey, Twitter is a strange place. Hey, Chad, I think Bossom has a question. Because the thing that's interesting about Assange's question, question is Portfolio Hawk and George ask uh, you know ask me all that question all the time. How much time have you spent studying markets? Oh, <laughs> well, I didn't. I, so. I didn't ask you that question. I made a, I, I made a suggestion. You need to you need to spend more time studying. I didn't ask you that question. You need to spend more time studying Bitcoin, bro. Fine. But but that that's my business. I know how much time I've spent. Okay, and, and you can ju- you can judge. Everyone's entitled to their own opinion. Okay, and and when you start, and you may say, yeah, I always like to learn. I'm, I'm bet- I enjoy learning. But when you start misstating facts, when you prevaricate, that indicates deficient knowledge. You you made you committed many lies here tonight. Okay. Um... So right, yeah, let's, you know, let's move on. Let's move on, guys. I mean, George, George, yeah. George actually gave the answer earlier. I heard George's answer and how much time he said. I'm not going to repeat it here because I think it's repetitive. But we should move on to the next question and keep it from ad hominem type stuff. Like this is not about any one person here. It's about all of us learning together, guys. So cool. All righty, go ahead, Potsy. Yeah, uh, all right, I have a question for George. There we go. Um. So my question is, you say that Bitcoin doesn't have value. But, um, and like maybe gold has value and things like that. But I mean, I'm somebody who used to, so we had a lot of our bank accounts frozen. A lot of our money was frozen. And um, now I, I was forced to move out of the U.S. because they made it illegal. And now it's legal in some states. Um, so for me, um, I like to travel. So, I mean, gold doesn't really work. Um, I, I used to like gold. But um, I mean, I've evolved in a country that I can go to right now because of restrictions. Um, I want my money to be portable. I want my money to, I mean, not be frozen by U.S. government. So I'm just curious, you say it doesn't, have, it doesn't have value to you or that it doesn't have value to anybody? So I'll take the first part of this and, and George can chime in. Pate, how many thousands of Bitcoins have been confiscated by the U.S. government to date? 
And so, I mean, I think it's hundreds of hundreds of thousands have been confiscated. But I mean, to confiscate those, they had to go after an individual. They had to go after an individual um, when to confiscate all the poker players' bank accounts. They could just get everybody, like millions of people, in one swipe. So I think it's much more difficult to confiscate Bitcoin. Well, we're not, we're not, um, we're not talking my, about level of difficulty. We're talking about possibility and probability, right? So if we're going to address that, let's talk about the number of Bitcoins that have been confiscated by the U.S. government. And I can't speak about other governments because I don't know. But let's talk about that. Okay, yeah. So I think the probability and, of them and, confiscating and, and, and my Bitcoin is near zero. zero. I'll, I'll address the other part of your question. Uh, even dirt has value. Even feces has value. And so it's not a matter of is there value or not? It's it's not a binary event. It's what is the value? And no one was able to give me or George any sort of metric that we can use other than characteristics of Bitcoin to attribute a value to it. Okay, um, so I mean, the value the tether is printing money, but I mean that's kind of like saying, well, Amazon's never going to work because so I, I think, the post office has no business model. So I think George talked about this, right? The market also gave value to tulips, to wampum, to housing in 2007, to Bitcoin today, and many, many other assets across history, where if we at that time said, this is the value because this is what price reflects today, we would have been monumentally wrong. On oh, okay, yeah, sure. But you're just, you're just cherry picking things that have been that having no value. I mean, the market also gives value to Tesla and Amazon, but which, I mean, is debatable what the value is. But, I mean, you can't I just cherry pick. The market is value. You cut out, Patsy. Couldn't hear I have you. a question. Patsy, all right. All right. We're just going to go to the last question here for Mt. Gox. Go, go ahead. Uh, this is to Dennis. So you tweeted out that Bitcoin could go to 25 million a coin. I'm just wondering how you got to that number and not, like, 50 million a coin. I know you're right. It's a bearish number. But that's 25 million is so low. Existence. You put 25 million a coin, there's not that much money on Earth. <laughs> I explained I mean, my market analysis extreme, earlier. That is extremely dumb. That's the I thing about I explained. I explained my market analysis, my price analysis earlier. I fully believe that Bitcoin will ultimately eat up roughly 70 to 80 percent of the store of value money marketplace which is a over 900 trillion dollar marketplace so you're saying there's not enough money on earth but there's enough value so you just misunderstand where the value is coming so from. you it's think not coming from the stocks, it's not coming bonds, from the no i didn't say all stocks all bonds i said all store of value marketplace and all money so that's a 900 trillion that's a 900 trillion dollar marketplace total net wealth on the planet is 431 trillion dollars roughly hey, your measurement so, is wrong why not 50 million? Of course. I'm just asking, why 25 and not 50 million? You're right. Let's go to 50. Let's do 50 million. Okay. Why not 100? Probably one day it'll be there. Especially the way we're printing money in this country. I mean, it could happen much faster I mean, than you think. All right. I, I think at this point, I think it's time to kind of close it up here. <laughs> um I think, you know, I think Mike disconnected, but hopefully you can come Chair, back really Chair, quick. Chair, 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 can I just say one last thing? Yeah, I was, I was going to give everyone a, a last uh, kind of quick comment. Um, but before I do, Wolf, uh, do you want to make a, a last quick comment as well? Me or the other. 
All right, so I will go. Can you I'll go over to you, no? George, first. Yeah, I can. I can hear you, but we'll, okay, we'll cool. go to the yeah, I'll, last I'll close one out with here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For each speaker here, George, go ahead. So, um, obviously, everyone has their own uh, opinion as they're entitled to, and um, I think it's important that uh, people understand each other, not necessarily going to going to agree. Um, I listen with the. Uh, assuredness that some speak here tonight and I'm reminded of I think it was Mark Twain who famously once said um, it's not what what you um, don't know that gets you in trouble it's what you think you know that ain't true and I know pretty much anytime I'm so certain of something that's when trouble starts and I'm just really struck by the uh, certainty of with certain opinions have been expressed here tonight and especially against looking at you know centuries of, of history the future is unknowable um no one can be sure but that certain numbers are being thrown around here tonight with such certainty whenever i hear that it's a huge huge alarm um and my, we obviously haven't agreed on much here tonight, but in my experience, uh, whenever I hear something like that, um, it's a huge warning sign. And to me, actually, uh, I, you know, I came here trying to learn tonight. I didn't really learn very much. Um, I am struck by the conviction and the certainty and, it's a big warning sign, red flag to me, and it, it's actually made me even more convinced that uh, this is all going to end. Very, this is all that that that's all going to end very badly. You know, there is a use for the blockchain technology. I got no problem with that, but and maybe you know a lot of the people in this room are here because they believe in the blockchain and what it will do someday. But it's 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 divorced from any discussion of value, and the fact of the matter is, you know, if you look at the public. The vast overwhelming majority of, are involved in Bitcoin now. Um, you know, it's a shiny new object of speculation. Number go up. You know, it was SPAC stocks. It was IPOs. It, you know, it was EV stocks, whatever. None of this would be possible. None of this would be possible if we didn't have such an irresponsible macroeconomic uh, situation where the banks, you know, the banksters, the governments are completely fucking everything up. Um, you know, if we had a, if you had a world of, uh, if rates, if interest rates were, you know, more in the line with historical norms, none of this would be possible. At any rate, um, we'll see how it all plays out. I'm done. And, and George, just to clarify, when you say none of this would have been possible, you're talking about the speculative mania and not the emergence of Bitcoin as a valid asset moving forward. I think, I think. The, the technology certainly would, a blockchain would, would certainly evolve. I'm not arguing about that, but that Bitcoin would have a $600 billion market cap, you know, in the same way that, you know, it's no different than Tesla having a $600 billion market cap. It's just complete insanity. But, you know, this is all part of the monetary inflation that we're experiencing. Some things are more geared to liquidity than others. Stocks have been inflated. Bonds have been inflated. Real estate's been inflated. And I would humbly suggest that, you know, Bitcoin probably almost more than anything has been inflated. So when I say it wouldn't be impossible, it wouldn't be impossible with this 
ridiculous amount of money printing that we have. And over to you, Portfolio. I think, um, you know, it, it would be irresponsible of me to say anything besides that Bitcoin fixes all world problems. So I'll leave it at that. All righty. And then, uh, Dennis, I, I don't, Mike hasn't come back yet. So if you want to make a comment for yourself and then also a last comment for him as well. Yeah, that's too bad that, um, yeah, that's too bad that, that, that Mike couldn't come. He's got a, he's a great closer, but I'll try to do my best here. Ultimately, I want to like to wrap it back around to what problem Bitcoin solves. And I think that, you know, so the most part, George and Portfolio Hawk, you know, we do agree that the system is broken and there are, there are major issues, but we have to realize, you know, why Bitcoin is so important. For 10,000 years, people have been using money. And for 10,000 years, the people in power have been corrupting that money. We've seen it all throughout history. We saw it with the collapse of Rome, where they debased the silver denarii from 3.9 grams to 0.2 grams of silver, which had major impacts on the inevitable collapse of the Roman Empire. We saw it when Europeans pillaged West Africa from the 15 to the 1700s, where Europeans flooded the market with glass agribeads that they could easily print and manipulate. This amplified the transatlantic slave trade and the removal of precious goods from Africa to such an extent to which I will argue that they have never recovered. We also saw in 1914, Weimar Germany has an absolute explosion in hyperinflation which ultimately led to the rise of Hitler and Nazism. Hitler's rise to power led to 75 million people dying and massive capital destruction that took decades, if not a whole century, to recover from. The reason why Bitcoin is so important is because it protects us from governments debasing our money. When governments mess with our money, it has led to collapse, war, and literal slavery. But for the first time in history... We have a money that cannot be debased. And that is why Bitcoin is so important. All righty. And then uh, over to you, Wolf. So I appreciated everything that was stated here. I definitely gained knowledge on both sides. I understand certain points more than others, but I appreciated them all. Um, I really want to say that I want to thank the listeners who sat here, you know, for three hours and just kind of, you know, partook in this, it was really quite an interesting space. So major props to Chad for being able to put together something where there's, you know, two sides of such a divisive topic. Yet we're able to have three hours of really, really helpful educational material that just goes back and forth. So, you know, be on the lookout. Chad hosts alpha spaces, amazing spaces. Where you, I think we collab now on like four a week. Um, and it's, you know, it's a pleasure to co-host with you. So thank you for putting this on. Yeah, thank you. And I want to thank, I really want to thank all the speakers that came on today. I think, you know, I think really towards the end there, it got uh, a little bit out of hand with some of the questions. And, and But everyone in the audience, do me a favor, give all the speakers on here a follow. They put out great spaces, great content. Um, I'm excited for kind of the future of where spaces goes. I'm excited for where just Twitter goes in the near future. 
Um, before I just get into some some householding things, I want to say as a closing argument, one of my favorite one of my favorite books is uh, is uh, by Dan Gardner. It's called Future Babel, and he takes over twenty thousand expert predictions, experts from oil traders to climate change activists to doctors, lawyers. And all their predictions, and then takes them and, and looks to see how they turned out. And and basically, the the main theme of the book is that expert predictions are are no better at predicting the future than dart throwing monkeys. And and really, so and why I'm saying this is all the speakers up here, including myself, the host, know know nothing about what's going to come in the future. But the debate needs to be had, I think, over and over and over again. And so, I, again, I'll just thank all the speakers that came up here and. What I'll say as well is I got a lot of DMs from people that are, that are really pissed about, you know, not getting up to ask questions and make comments and stuff like that. And look, it's really nothing against you guys. Uh, it really isn't. It's a matter of time. It's a matter of, of, of amount of people that are trying to request to get up. I'm trying to add new people that have never asked questions to learn more things. And it's really not anything against anything personal against you guys. Um, it's just unfortunately how the current you know Twitter Spaces system is. It's just how the, how we have to kind of do it with with sessions like this. So with that, um, you know, again, I thank everyone, and um, uh, you know, I hope to see you guys all again in, in different spaces. But again, follow these guys up here and and have a great night. And I, I really look forward to to seeing people in the future. So uh, so thank you. Thank you, Chad. Everyone should uh, definitely give Chad some love because he, uh, you know, he sits up here and has to moderate and pay attention the whole time and doesn't really get to speak a whole lot. Um, smart guy, though, when he does have the opportunity to be a part of the conversation. So uh, definitely, if you want to be a part of his rooms in the future, I highly recommend you follow him. He, he puts together some some good stuff for people out there. So appreciate Absolutely. it, Chad. Thank you. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Yeah. I will. Uh, I'll see you guys. Oh, Chad, real quick before we go, let's let, let people know when our next yep. spaces are going to be because we got a couple coming up. Yeah. So, yeah, I apologize. So, yeah. So tomorrow we're going to have uh, we have our normal weekly space. We're moving it to 4 p.m. PST. It's a little bit more laid back, more fun space uh, this week in FinTwit uh, with Wolf and, and a number of other FinTwit guys. And then after that, at 5 p.m. PST, Stock Twits. And I will be co-hosting just a, a, a weekly space at 5 p.m. PST as well. On uh, and this week they do uh, they, every week they do a new topic on a different stock. And this week it'll be on Apple and Ross Gerber and a number of other stock guys will be there. Uh, then on Thursday, a uh, lot more serious uh, space with this week in markets at 5 p.m. PST as well. Uh, that's a lot more serious with Portfolio Hawk and maybe Dennis and a lot of other serious investors as well. Um, Friday, I'm going to be doing an interview with a, a pop culture math who, who has a book coming out on, on the game theory of how um, uh, the game show. I'm forgetting the name right now. Uh, the Price is Right. I'm sorry. There we go. He has a book coming out on that. And then uh, Saturday, nothing. And then Sunday, I do a, uh, a pitch or startup or idea idea space at 5 p.m. PST as well. If you want to be featured on that, just DM me and we'll, we'll try and get you up there. Uh, you can pitch any idea or startup that you're currently working on. And then uh, lastly, starting next week on Mondays at 5 p.m. PST, I'm going to be doing a pitch your stock uh, a space as well. So probably about two to three ideas. Come and pitch your stock. Uh, the speakers will give you some feedback, ask you some questions, and uh, I think it'll be a great time. So with that, I will, I will finally close. And, um, but everyone have a great night again, and I will uh, hopefully see you guys all again soon. I, I enjoyed the space. But uh, have a great night, everyone. See you all.